Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Bat Around. The Bat Around brought to you today by PressBoxOnline.com. Bet $5 with DraftKings and instantly get $200 in bonus bets to use for anything at all. Get this and other great sportsbook promos and specials at PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash offers, or as the ad reads, PressBoOnline. Presbo. Presbo. Isn't it? Wasn't the name of Cam's clown the clown that Cam played in, in Modern, Modern Family? Family wasn't yeah. it Fizbo? It was. That helped it me was. remember something for the mortgage <laughs> industry because there's a there's an acronym F S B O, and I was like, oh, Fizbo, like like Cam's Cam's clown. There you go. Cam's clown. Uh, good morning, everybody. I'm Paul Valley. He's Zach Goodman. We are your host, co-host, producers, uh, jack of all trades of the bat around. Coming to you on a chilly. Dreary looking Saturday. I think there's snow in the forecast. There might be. I, by, by the way, that is the biggest thing I've ever seen. I've that's never what seen. She said. A, <laughs> yes. How do you like that? I've never seen uh, a water bottle uh, that big. You uh. have the world's biggest Yeti. There's never been a Yeti that big. Dude, that, I mean, they they mass produce these things. I so. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, I'm aware. Yes, there has. <laughs> um, so a few years back, I asked my sister for a gallon Yeti for Christmas. That's okay. all I wanted. She got me a. That's only a gallon. Yeah, wow. she got me a gallon Arctic, which worked for me until I realized it was really only three quarters of a gallon. And um, okay. but they sell it as a gallon, but it's, mm. that's also why it's significantly cheaper. Yeah. So I had that for a year. I lugged it around everywhere, and then the next year for Christmas, my lovely wife, her mother, got me the gallon Yeti, and it has been by my side every day since. Wow. Yeah, it's. I, I try to drink a gallon of water every day. I okay. come, I come up short quite a bit, quite a bit. Yeah, you know it, it's way harder than you think it would be. It, like, it's really it's, hard, and if you're not used to it, you're peeing every twenty minutes. Yeah, but I try to drink a gallon of water every day, and to ensure that I do so, I carry that sweet lady with me everywhere I go. Nice. Not, I mean, when I say everywhere I go, it's not like I go to like the mall or something. Do people <laughs> still go to malls. Do be, like like it's I not mean, like, you could put that thing around your neck. It could be like a, you know, one of those like 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 Flava Flav. Yeah. Just wear it like sure. instead of the clock, wear the giant yeti, man. That thing would put so much strain I on I could my see neck. you just packing the protein powder in there. I'm surprised you don't have it. There's any. no way I would do that. Really? They, that's so, so He was a protein powder guy. Yeah, I I I, okay. I I use protein powder, but I use it in the blender bottles. I'm not going to put it in a yeti Fair enough. And, and and just sip that I, I could sip that all day. I could sip that all day. You could sip that all day. I could sip that all day. Maybe I'm giving you out ideas. Maybe I'll do that with the Arctic jug. Sure. You do what you (laughs) want to do. Arctic. Extra (laughs) emphasis on the seas. Um, So Zach and I are playing golf tomorrow morning, and it is going to be frigidaire. It's going to be it's going to be freaking cold out there. Is it? I didn't even look. It, it, well, it's, what are we it's looking like at? a high of like 52 tomorrow, but at okay. se- 7.45 in the morning is our tea time. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like 31 degrees when, we, t- when we tee off. So uh, dress warmly. Uh, I did play on Thursday okay. when it was like 75 degrees. Mm-hmm. We, I, uh, my partner at the mortgage company that I work for, he, um, he is a member at Maryland Golf and Country Club. So okay. he took me out there and... They are under construction. They are renovating the whole place. It's going to look fantastic. And um, so they only had nine holes open. But the nine holes that they had open wasn't like the front nine or the back nine. It was we started on 10. We went 10, 11, 12, 17, 1, 2, 4, 7, 8. Nice. That's how our, our round went. Well, let me tell you something. One of the biggest friggin' anomalies of my life happened. Mm-hmm. Well, I parred the first hole. That's not the anomaly. I get some pars. Um <laughs> I, I, I double. I had a great <laughs> tee shot on the second hole. Okay, 
great tee shot. And I was like 60 yards from the green in the middle of the fairway. Mm-hmm. And I thinned my chip shot, and it sailed it over the green. Yeah. And then I'm chipping on a downward slope, and it rolled off the front of the green, and I put three times from there. It was not good. Okay. Um, so anyway, so that, that wasn't the anomaly. Um, it was on the 17th hole, which was our fourth hole. I hit my drive into the sand trap down the right side of the opposite fairway. Down, down the, le- the right side for me, the left side of the fairway... For- for the hole coming across, right. R- right yes. side for both. Right side for both, okay? Oh, okay. Um, so it's just over the cart path going up the right side of, of my of my um, hole. And the ball's in the trap, so I take an 8-iron. I got a little bit of a lip in front of me. I smash this 8-iron out of the trap like 170 yards. Okay. Right? It lands up by the tee box, and it's up by the tee box on the next hole because I just went up this, the fairway so I could chip. So I could get by the trees and chip onto the green, be on in three. Can't find my ball. It's There's no reason for it to be gone. You ever have one of those shots where the ball just disappears? And, and it's, We've it, had it, that when I was playing yeah, with you one in, time. In, I've in, had that. It's li- literally in the middle of a wide open space where everybody could, should be able to find right. it, and we just can't find it. There's guys on the tee box. There's people behind us because it's beautiful out, so everybody wants to play golf. Sure. So... Dave says to me, just drop just drop a ball. Don't take a penalty stroke. We don't have time to look for it. So I do. I'm about 70 yards away from the green. I've got a tree about 10 yards in front of me. I take my 56 degree, and I'm like, I can get over this tree. I hit a beautiful shot. Okay. I hit a beautiful shot over this tree, and it lands about eight feet from the cup. Okay. I should be putting from for bird from about eight feet, a makeable birdie. The problem is it landed directly on top of another player's ball. <laughs> that I was playing with. Literally hit his ball. Yeah. His ball rolls to within four feet of the cup. My ball shoots 20 yards in the opposite direction okay. off the green. So I'm punished for this gorgeous shot. And then I, these greens are fast. I'm chipping on a bit of a slope again. I chip it off the green. I chip mm. it back onto the green. I two-putt, and I end up taking a freaking seven on a hole where I should have had an eight-foot putt for birdie. Yeah. Uh, just the, pissed me off. Shoot the ball... <laughs> Should have been eight feet from the cup for Bird. And instead, it hits this guy's freaking ball and ricochets. And at first, I thought it was his ball that ricocheted, not right. mine. I thought I got close to pin. I'm like, dude, you can put that ball back. He goes, no, this is mine, not yours. I was like, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> I almost cursed just now. I'm still pissed off thinking about it. Wow. Anyway, I what know that this is a baseball show, but I just felt like I wanted to share that with people. Because go- baseball players oftentimes I, play yes, golf. Yes, I haven't beaten you yet, so maybe tomorrow will be the day. I don't know. I, I, don't I, sh- know. I shot my lowest on nine I've ever shot the other day. I Really, I haven't been practicing. And you know mm. I practice a lot, like especially over the summer. I'm out there like three, four times a week. Mm. But... I, I shot a 41 the other day, which is my lowest on a 9 ever. My previous low was a 42. So I'm hoping. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I hadn't played since October. I hadn't swung a golf club since October. Mm-hmm. I shot a 48. Okay. And the problem is it should have been I, – I, in my mind, it's a, like a 43 or a 44 because of what happened on that hole. And then there was another hole where I'm laying I'm laying um, two in the middle of the fairway. Okay. And I, it's a par four. I got – ahead of myself because I, I hit a good tee shot and I'm trying to hit a um, an approach shot onto the green and have another putt for birdie and I looked to see where the ball was going before I hit it and I topped it. So my next Love shot next shot I made sure I kept my head down I took a nice fluid swing and I hit a beautiful shot onto the back of the green. The problem is they were renovating this green and the back of the green was all torn up and covered, uh. and covered by a tarp so it landed on a tarp and I had to by the rule, I had to take the ball and pull it behind the tarp 
and chip up over the tarp, also on a downward slope. Right. So I hit a nice I, I hit a nice chip shot, but it just trickled, 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 trickled down to the fringe. Uh, so I'm laying four down there now, and then I I uh, had to come up and three putt from the fringe. A, a good bit. It was like a forty foot putt, and so I got a seven. But in my mind, it should have been a bogey. It should have been a five. Sure. And I feel like I, sh- I instead of a 48, I probably should have had about a 43 or 44. Sure. That's that's my theory. Anyway, we have spent nine minutes talking about golf on a baseball show. My sincerest apologies if you were coming in because you're excited about spring training and the first game being today. We're excited, too. We're going to talk about it right now. O's taking on the Minnesota Twins at Ed Smith Stadium down in Sarasota. It's the first spring training game, the first game in the Grapefruit League action for the Baltimore Orioles. Drew Rahm, who the Orioles just protected from in the Rule 5 draft, they add him to the 40-man roster because he may have been taken. I'm not sure if he would have or not, but somebody may Being have... a lefty, possibly. Somebody may have taken a flyer on him, stashed him in their bullpen, or put him on their IL after the requisite time or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but he gets the ball today. Any chance... And, and look, there's always a chance. You could have seven injuries, and he gets a chance. But is there any chance that we see Drew Rahm debut in the major leagues this year? Do you think that maybe he could pitch his way into the equation at some point this year? I'm not... I don't think it's... I think there's a 100% likelihood that he... Starts the year in Norfolk's yes, rotation. Yes. But do you think that if he that he could pitch well enough to make it to the major leagues this year and be a factor? That's a good question. I mean, last year it was his age twenty two season, and he put up a four five four ERA in Norfolk. Only pitched seven games. I think there's a little more work he's going to have to do there to prove mm-hmm. himself. I want to see probably at least. Man, I don't know, 17 starts in Norfolk before I'm thinking about bringing him up. You've got to get him at over 100 innings for sure, I would yeah. think. Um, so if it is a promotion for Jerome this year as a 23-year-old, I would think it would be pretty late in the season. I'm think- I would probably think we're looking at late August, September, that kind of thing. Maybe if they're making a playoff run and you know you need another lefty, Jerome would kind of be a perfect guy to go to. 23, get him experience on a ball club that he could be a big part of in 24. It's it's a really good possibility, but they didn't do it with Grayson Rodriguez this year. Um, he wasn't brought up, so maybe they'll play it safe with Jerome too. This year too. being last year, being 2022. Right, cor- correct, being 2022. I, I think they're going to kind of play it safe with a guy like that, especially being 23 years old. He's going to have to pitch well and going to have to make well over 100 innings in starts. Yeah, and, and here's the other thing that we that you have to factor in here. He could pitch really well and still not be needed. Yeah. He could pitch really yeah. well and there's just not no spot for him. That's very which, possible. Which then also leads to, if he pitches well enough being a lefty, could the Orioles package him at the deadline oh easily for a, a, a their missing piece maybe their missing piece is i don't know jose abreu with the mm-hmm. who's he playing with astros. the astros the astros, astros aren't going to be willing to trade him they're, they're going to be too good and he's gonna be a big part of that offense yeah but, i would agree or, or maybe um there's plenty of guys maybe out jd there. martinez with the, with with the Dodgers. Sure. you know sure. so, somebody that could fit it could fit in for you in the middle of your order and be an impact bat down the stretch for you and we have no idea who could and the dodgers are going to be good too they're going to be right there and if jd yeah. martinez is having a good year for them they're not going to be willing to part with him so who knows those are just off the top of my head guys but drew rom could be a factor for the Orioles in multiple ways this oh, yeah. year oh, yeah. but let's not get out over our feet here he's just making the first start in the great in great free league action for the Orioles so they probably go an inning unless he's really efficient in the first yeah. and come out for the, for the second I believe it was Spencer Watkins last year if I remember correctly so it is probably someone they have in their plans most likely 
you know, maybe Drew Rahm is in their plans yeah, this year and, at some point. Spencer Watkins was a really effective pitcher he for was. the Orioles for about a he 10 was. or 11 start stretch last year. So that's not to be taken for granted. Uh, Jackson Holiday, Orioles number one overall pick in the draft last year. Just 19 years old. He is in camp with an invite to spring training. Just 20, 20 uh, pro games under his belt, and he's already in big league camp. Yeah. Um, he's got that baby face, right? He looks like he's about 15 sure. years old. But from what I'm hearing, 6'1", 175 pounds, his body composition, this dude looks like a man physically, yeah. right? And so Brandon Hyde has been really talking him up. So is, so is Mike Elias. Brandon Hyde saying that he's got a um, special ability yeah. and a lot of talent. Mike Elias said we wouldn't have him here if we didn't think he could handle it. This is a kid whose dad was a seven-time All-Star, a four-time Silver Slugger. Um, he spent a, a lot of time in big league spring training. Yep. So... Not really anything new for him. Sure. You you know that he's not getting starstruck. You know, he's probably thinking it's cool to be playing with Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson it, it, during the spring and all these other guys, but he's not starstruck. You know that much. No. Um, and he's going to get an opportunity to play here in the early Grapefruit League games. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. I, look, I, I expect him to look overmatched. I do. I expect him to look overmatched unless he's getting in late in the game and he's playing guys who are more on, on his level. But if he's facing off against double-A guys later in games and he's producing, that's something to, to keep an eye on. Sure. I mean, even a Drew Rahm-like type guy. Someone like mm-hmm. Drew Rahm could probably, you know, he, he'd overmatch him in some cases. But then again, I think Jackson could hold his own. And he's a number one overall pick. And these mm-hmm. guys are so advanced. Yes, he's a high school bat. But Jackson Holiday was producing you know, at an unreal level in high school against a lot of guys in his state that were probably throwing 90-plus with decent breaking stuff. There's always good college players, high school players, excuse mm-hmm. me, to come out of uh, of the state he came out of. So, to me, he probably has faced some good competition. He already did a little bit last year. Um, in low A. In, in low A. So, he's got a little bit of experience to build on. Um, and there's some players, like you said, that are, are probably a little bit lower lower tier guys that he can face off against and hold his own, and even the higher tier guys. I'm not saying someone like a Grayson Rodriguez he'd have a lot of success against, but some of these, you know, double-A, triple-A guys that are on the lower tier side of things, um, I, I think Jackson could certainly hold his own. He's a number one overall pick with an incredible amount of talent, an incredible amount of upside. So he's going to hold his own, and I think that's why they picked him. I mean, he's just he's a complete package, but obviously there's a lot of learning, a lot of building for him to do in the next you know three years and it would certainly be nice to see my microphone was falling off the table it would certainly be nice to be able to watch him yeah but masson's only televising four games yeah this spring and even dan Connolly of the athletic been on the show a few times even he said he thinks it's just a matter of ownership being cheap there's no reason Especially with how much excitement is around the ball club. Yeah. There's no reason not to televise 8, 10, 12. At least the home games. Yeah. Right? It, like, yeah. why can't you televise all the home games? Or at least all the home games from the second week of March on. Why, why can't you do that? And, and the fact of the matter is, they don't want to pay their broadcasters to go down there. They want to pay the cost of televising these games. John Angelus, God, is, have you ever seen a more prominent figure with bigger foot and mouth disease. Like, have you ever seen this? No uh, comment. No, no <laughs> you, you're a B word. He, uh, no, I, I think, I think it's pretty common for, uh, for, for owners to be the way that John Angelos is. I think, I think that's a pretty common thing. I mean, you see Steve Bashotti 
in his you know case, he will not talk about a lot of the things that I think the media wants to talk about either. Um, and he delegates a well, lot to Eric DaCosta not, as the, and Dick Cass as the team spokespeople. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, what I'm talking about is saying stuff like, my priority is making sure we get the concerts in Camden Yards and making sure that we get this in Camden okay. Yards and then focusing on winning. And it's like, it, it should be the reverse order. It should be focus on winning first. because I agree all, with you. That's ultimately what's going to be, bring all the revenue back to your ball club and yeah. make and be a bigger part for the city is the Orioles playing 81 meaningful home games. Yeah. That's what's going to be big for your franchise yeah. and for ultimately for your wallet. And then saying stuff like, well, we could televise the spring training games, but at the cost of regular season games. Um, so basically what he's saying is, well, we can't televise spring games because then we can't televise all of the... Yeah. Well, what about the four games that are going to be on Apple TV that you can't televise anyway? Just add those four games to your spring training schedule and boom, there, fixed. You're welcome. I'll take my, you know... $150,000 for that idea. Um, just, <laughs> I bet you just, will. Just just put me on payroll. Honestly, it's they used to televise seven or eight. They did. They yeah. used to. And yeah. now they used COVID as a reason not to. Yeah. And But now that's done. I remember, though, even the year before that, in 19, I don't believe they televised more than like three or four. Because I remember specifically watching the Orioles on uh, Yes Network, because I used to have Net Yes Network for some weird reason. I had uh, Nesson, too, the, the Red Sox Network, and I was watching some of those spring training games uh, because the Orioles didn't broadcast them. So that was the only way you really could get them, was, was through other teams' networks. Well, I have MLB TV, okay. so yep. I'm going to... Hopefully, there's a lot of games being televised on MLB TV that Most that, likely. that I can check out. Um, and I don't know. It, it, it's just I feel like if if the Pittsburgh Pirates can televise every game, mm -hmm. you can televise. Every, oh, I, I all the games. Believe me, I don't disagree. I we I was on GCR yesterday and we talked about this. And Stan wasn't that. Um, Stan wasn't that upset about it. He thinks that there's a lot of people, especially being a lot of these games are in the middle of the week. There's a lot of people at work can't yeah, really watch it. Yeah, that's true. So it's, true. it's it's almost like they're not really going to make that much money if they do, um, and they're probably wasting money, you know, broadcasting a one o'clock game on a Wednesday, if that makes sense. So I get that point. I like that part of it from Stan's perspective. No, that that, it that is a fair point because literally, as I was talking to you, I was thinking about thinking to myself, well, if I'm at work, right, from it, exactly. eight, from eight a.m. to five to p.m., six p.m., right. seven p.m., I can't watch these games anyway right. but then if that's the case you can still televise every saturday and sunday home game as it should be yes you, you should televise yes. every saturday and sunday home game you absolutely should and if you're televising look they can't air the games while they're happening because of Masson, right, right. mlb tv can't do that but people if, can get off work and come home and you know be like you know what I want to watch the Orioles game from today and go yeah. and watch it later on. Which is oh, no doubt. I'm probably going to do that a lot this spring. So I just feel like they should make a better effort to televise more than just four games. Um, you mentioned Grayson Rodriguez uh, and how uh, Jackson Holiday. sure, he's not going to produce against a guy like Grayson Rodriguez, but nobody's going to produce well against Grayson yeah. Rodriguez. From what I'm hearing, from what we I heard on 105.7 the other day from Dan Connolly, I'm going to reference him a fair bit in this show today. Um, he is clearly has more has better stuff than yeah. everybody else in camp from what from what Connolly said he's been looking incredible um it's looking like he's going to be in the opening day rotation barring some barring an injury you or would have just, to think you would you would have to think if he's healthy and productive all spring which we expect him to be he's going to be in the opening day rotation um another guy Cade Povich who came over in the Jorge Lopez trade apparently he's been flashing some brilliant stuff 
down there. He's a lefty. You're talking about you need a left-handed uh, left-handed pitching. Look, he only got to high A last year, so yeah. he's not factoring into the big league plans this year. But if he pitches well, he could make it to Bowie maybe after the first month or so of the season, maybe end the year with a with a handful of starts at Norfolk. Um your thoughts on Cade Povich? I don't really know what kind of pitch mix he has. i got to be honest with you. I don't know much about him, but I've heard that he's been spectacular. Yeah, I've that. yet to see him in person, but I do know that the Bowie numbers last year were not uh, too exciting. 6-9-4 ERA when he came over uh, to the Orioles. I don't believe he pitched. Oh, he did pitch two games in Aberdeen to a zero, uh, to oh. a zero ERA. So he okay. does have about eight games under his belt. But okay. I haven't yet... Uh, gotten to see him in person when I do that it will be definitely a, a better analysis of what this guy is but I, I do know that the Orioles like to, to target you know high velo high spin guys like Cade Povich and, and especially being a lefty it's pretty interesting um, that you know he could definitely factor in at some point either late this season early next season it, it's very possible um, given the fact that he's already in Bowie and he could easily make a jump to Norfolk and if they need him down the line again it's that lefty and lefties get promoted a lot quicker because of they are lefties. It's just, it, Nick Vespi is a great example. Well, and then you look at the Jorge Lopez and Trey Mancini trades. And sure, people were upset. And the Orioles bullpen was was impacted by losing Jorge Lopez because they didn't replace him with anybody. They just kind of said, okay, next in line from what we already have. He, he wasn't replaced by anybody. Right. But he didn't pitch well for the Twins. No. Um, he was mediocre at best for them. Trey... Hit a couple of home runs in his first game. He hits, I think he hit six home runs in like his first fifteen games. He did, yeah. With with the Astros, but the batting average was well below two hundred. Trey's best days are behind him. I love Trey. Uh, people let their heart and their emotions and their feelings towards Trey the person get in the way of Trey the player. Yes. Um, yeah. And the fact that the Orioles were able to get for Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez, Cade Povich, Seth Johnson, and is it Chaz McDermott? Yes, Chaz McDermott. I believe so. Uh, or is it Chase McDermott? Uh, I, I feel like it's Chaz, but I don't know. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. I can look it up. Um, but the fact that they were able to get three guys who could end up being impact pitchers at the big league level for those for it is Chase 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 McDermott the, for those two guys, uh, it was impressive. And the fact that Cade Povich is dazzling down there right now, maybe we should expect big things from him at Bowie this year. I thought he would start at high A, so he's probably going to start at Bowie this year. Yeah. Um, Seth Johnson's still recovering. He'll probably start throwing towards the end of this year, uh, towards the end so. of the season, and then be ready for spring training next year. Um, and uh, Chase McDermott is not that far away from being somebody that could help the Orioles, at least out of their bullpen. Did he get AAA time this past year, or was it all at Bowie? I don't believe so. Okay. No. Um these could be guys that could help the Orioles. So the pitching is looking good to start down at trip down the triple down at spring training for sure. Cedric Mullins, by all reports, is absolutely tearing it up mm-hmm. down there. And now look, he's probably a month ahead of everybody else because he had to because the World Baseball Classic is coming up here in just a, just a couple of weeks. Um, but he has been apparently he's been barreling a lot. Line drives everywhere. He's been showing showing power and against left-handed pitching, which is something we know he worked on extensively yep. this offseason because he went from, what was it, 277 against lefties in 2021 yep. to 209 against them in 2022. So I think that's something he's putting a lot, a lot of focus on. We're going to talk about him a little bit later in the show. Um, but... Actually, you know what? Because we're doing something different for Orioles Panthers, something different than I have in my notes, we can talk about him a little bit right now. Um, how big of a season could the Orioles have if out of their leadoff spot they have 2021 Cedric Mullins 
And, and, and 2022 Cedric Mullins is a three-and-a-half win player. Yeah. 2021 Cedric Mullins is about a six-win player. Yeah. Uh, and you're talking a 30-30 guy right. with about a 290 batting average. Uh, even if they get somewhere in between, somewhere in between where maybe he's a 275 guy with 24 home runs and 30 to 40 stolen bases, how big of a year could this offense have with Cedric Mullins setting the table like that? It's almost indescribable what he would do. Um, a year like last year would be very productive, mm-hmm. and he was very productive last year. He did a lot of great things, especially defensively, but also at the plate. Um, the left-handed pitching has to get better. He's got to be able to hit that. It's a huge part of being a leadoff spot. Uh, guys that you can really face off against anything, and you saw Brandon Hyde drop him to eight or nine a few times when Ryan McKenna was in the lineup because Ryan McKenna ended up hitting something like over 300 against lefties. So Cedric Mullins has to improve there. We, we know that. Uh, and he has to get back to what he was in 2021 against left-handed pitching. That's the biggest thing. And if he does, he's going to set the table for Gunnar Henderson as a two-hitter. Natalie Rutschman is a three-hitter. Hopefully Ryan Malkastle is a four-hitter. Uh, four and, of course, Anthony Santander and other guys behind him. So he would do a lot if he was able to get on base at a, I don't know, 340, 345 clip. He's got to improve against lefties. And this could be a, a very good season. Even if he's a 2020, you know, a 2025 guy where he homers 20 times, steals 25, that would be extremely productive as long as the on-base percentage is a little better than it was last year. Yeah, and getting back to Ryan McKenna real quick, he did not hit over 300. He against, didn't. Against no, he, he hit 270. Oh, did he? Okay. It, there, there was a, a nice stretch in the season where he was had where he was batting over 300 okay. against them from one point to another, kind of like a like a Jorge Mateo type of stretch. But for the season, he was 270 against left-handed pitching. Today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealers. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Go check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Coming up on the show, we have Stan the Fan Charles here in a matter of moments for his weekly segment. And then uh, a little bit later in the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to have from the Florida Prospect Report, Eric Garfield, who's been down there every day of spring training. He's got an eye on all the prospects, all the Orioles players. He's going to talk about um, some of the good and some of the bad that he's seen down there in AAA. Uh, AAA. Why do I keep doing that in spring training? But before we do that, on the line with us now, Stan the Fan Charles. Stan, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing well. Super excited because it's uh, the start of Grapefruit League action for the Orioles today, Stan. Uh, they're going at 1 o'clock this afternoon against the Minnesota Twins from Ed Smith Stadium down in Sarasota. Uh, pr- Orioles protected Drew Rom from the Rule 5 draft by adding him to the 40-man roster. He gets the ball today. Stan, it's already a crowded rotation. I think he's. I think it's 100% likelihood that he's going to start the year in Norfolk. Do you think that simply by pitchability alone that Drew Rom can pitch his way onto the Orioles team at some point this year? I think it would, uh, ha- you know, I think his pitchability, how he's doing down there, and what's taking place up here. Um, the, you know, it's not just simply his pitchability, you know, how he's how he's doing, whether he's sporting a 3.7 ERA or a 4.4. Uh, there has to be an opening, and you would think by the time that that opening might occur for him to be a starting pitcher with the Orioles, that that would mean there was some other injury or really poor performance. 
somewhere I, along the line. I agree. I was I was saying to Zach in the opening of the show that for Drew Rom to get an opportunity, like like you just said, not only does he have to be pitching well, there has to be a spot for him, and for there to be a spot, something not great has to be going on. Um, you always want that depth. You need you need it to get through a big league season. But uh, if Drew Rom isn't pitching here, it's uh, it's Probably a good thing, honestly, at this point. Um, now, Cedric Mullins, apparently, Stan, from what we're hearing, he's been uh, squaring up a lot down in Sarasota during spring training. Um, he's got about a month head start on everybody else because he had to prepare himself for the World Baseball Classic. Uh, what are your expectations for Cedric Mullins this year? If he can get back to hitting lefties well, how big is he for this Orioles offense being at the top of the order and setting the table? Well, you know, uh, that is one of the benefits you worry about with the World Baseball Classic. You worry a little bit about your people potentially getting hurt. And then there's also the potential that they could burn out later in the season because mm-hmm. they've ramped up, you know, earlier than usual. But the good part of it is, you know, he's play- he's going to be playing at a high level of competition and probably playing more intensely than a lot of the players that are playing in spring training games. So that bodes well for a good start. It would mean a lot to this team if, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to see 30 home runs out of Cedric again, uh, but I think we could see 40, 40, 45 steals. And if he hits 275 and he's on base 330, you know, that would be huge for us. Yeah, I, I certainly agree, especially now that you're going to have a full year. I'm not, Go ahead. I'm not predicting. I'm not predicting those exact numbers, but that would be seen. You know, maybe 15 to 17 home runs, 45 steals, a 265, 270 average overall. But it is. You're right. It is important that he be able to uh, plug in. You know, against uh, left-handed. You know, pitching. He's got to. He's got to do better than he did last year. Absolutely, he went from about two seventy seven in twenty twenty one to two oh nine against left handed pitching in twenty twenty two. It seems like that's something that he's been working on. He took live BP against Cole Irvin and um, took him deep. So that's something that that's worth keeping an eye on and factoring in. And Stan, for for what it's worth, my prediction for him. I'm not saying yours was a prediction, but I said. 275, maybe around 20 to 24 home runs and 40 steals is going to be a big year for Cedric Mullins and big yep. for this team. So I think you and I are on the same page there. Now, another yep. outfielder is Austin Hayes. And we ha- I haven't heard anything about Austin Hayes to this point, Stan. With him, is no news good news? And is his seat the hottest of the outfielders? Well, I don't think there's any question. He's, he's sort of got the hottest seat. And, uh, I find it interesting that the Orioles are still in the uh, Jurickson Proflar, you know, at least some they're keeping some avenue of discussion. So mm-hmm. that gets down to don't watch what we say, watch what we do sure. with the Orioles. You know, they they're not they're not hearing much about Hayes, but I'm I'm not. It's not a big deal to me because there's about 45 days down there for the writers and they'll get around to an Austin Hayes day one day. And all of a sudden rock will be talking about him, and rich will be talking about him. Um, you know, so I'm not worried that, that they're not talking about him yet, uh, because there's nothing really to talk about, but the actions of the Orioles will speak louder than anything you and I can discern right now from a lack of uh, comment on him. Uh, if they sign jerks and pro that's not good news for uh, Austin Hayes 
as an everyday Oriole player. And how likely do you think it is that Jerickson Profar could be playing in an Orioles uniform? I know it's hard to put a, a number on that, Stan, but do you think that that's something that, that is a good possibility? I, I don't know enough about it. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, an investigative reporter that's working sources or anything like that, but, but it does get mentioned, and he still is out there. And you wouldn't think that his asking price can be particularly that high right now. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a three, three or four million dollar piece, and he he's good protection. Let's say Hayes playing very well, but you got Profar, and all of a sudden Cedric Mullins gets hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I know you want to ask me later on because we we communicate through. You you tell me the areas you want to talk about. The most intriguing guy for this year that I'm interested in seeing how he does is probably Kyle Stowers. Okay. You know, and whether he really belts his way into being somebody that can pressure uh, Hayes' position and also possibly play a little center field. And, and I'm glad you bring up Kyle Stowers because we had Keith Law on the show a few weeks ago, and he we asked him about Kyle Stowers, and he said he can't hit. Has that big looping swing? Uh, he he's swinging like it's three oh three one on every pitch. Uh, do you have maybe a little bit more confidence in Kyle Stowers than Keith Law does because he doesn't have much? No, I I would not say at this point in time I have a great deal of confidence in him. Uh, but I'm I'm anxious to see how he really is going about his business in a full camp with a full shot at making the major league club. And again, he's a guy greatly impacted because the fact that they would get pro far doesn't mean that Austin Hayes is suddenly a bench player, but it really, that, that DH position on the Orioles is also open. You know, there's no specific one guy that's going to DH every day. Mm-hmm. And certainly pro far, if he's playing well, can get at bats there as well, but it would not bode that well for uh, Stowers either if they go out and get Profar. Especially when you think about the fact that Colton Kowser is a hot start at Norfolk away from making his way to the big league level. I don't think he'd be here in the first month or two, but if it's June or July and he's tearing the cover off the ball and the Orioles left fielder is struggling, whoever it is, um, Colton Kowser could be here by midseason, and that doesn't bode well either, especially if Profar uh, is brought into the equation. Um, Grayson, yeah, and that, might, go ahead. and that might be an impact on whether they want to go to three or four million dollars for Jerks and Profar. You yeah. know, is that hey, we, we're just three months away from having somebody we really like. You know, it's interesting. I'm doing my research for fantasy baseball, so I'm going through a lot of Keith Law's writing, and I thought it was Keith Law, but somewhere along the last four or five days, I read somebody on one of the sites that really is not impressed with Colton Kowser. My eyebrows raised, and last night I was working through the Oriole Prospects again, and I said, let me see what Law actually said about him, why he doesn't like him. Mm -hmm. And it turned out he liked him. It was somebody else, another prospect writer, really thought he was more like a marginal fourth outfielder. And Um, I never had known that, you know. Keith Law was the only one to keep him off his top 100 prospects list. He was the first one mentioned in Just Missed for the top 100. Uh, and he said, uh-huh. and when, when we talked to him, he said, look, he, just, he can't hit lefties. Um, he thinks that he's going to be. That, yeah. Go ahead. You know what I might have read? I might have read his, I might have actually accidentally gone to his 2022 uh, profile. 
Mm-hmm. Somebody was saying that that because he can't hit left-handers. Yes, he was. So sees him more like a platoon, like a very good platoon player. You yeah, know, that's what that's he. Not, I don't think that's what they expected out of their first round. Pick. Yeah, when when you take somebody fifth overall, um, you want him yeah. to be an everyday impact player for you. And and Keith Fall says he can't hit lefties. He thinks his ceiling is a solid everyday player, but more than likely he ends up being a platoon. Um, outfielder in in, yep. in his mind. Uh, hope It's up to Colton yep. Kowser, just like Cedric Mullins against lefties. It's up to Colton Kowser to prove that he can hit lefties. People were saying the same thing about Gunnar Henderson, that he can't hit lefties, and he's the number one prospect in baseball. So th- right. th- this it's all about what you do on the field. And again, it also can, goes to Kyle Stowers, too. Can you prove that you can do it? And they're going to get every opportunity, too. Now, somebody who's been proving it for quite a while now for the Orioles, at least through their system that they can do it, is Grayson Rodriguez. Stan, reportedly he's been impressive. I was listening to Dan Conley on the radio yesterday, and he said that Grayson is clearly better than all the other pitchers in camp. He expects him to be the Orioles' number 5 starter and make his big league and season debut against Texas in the second series of the season. With that in mind... We want to temper our expectations, but what are realistic expectations for Grayson Rodriguez this season? And does the high praise that's seemingly coming from every source heighten the expectations? Well, there's definitely a, a, a high level of expectation with him in terms of results. The question is, what will his body of work be this year? Mm-hmm. You know, this is not somebody that we're talking about plugging. 180 or 190 innings sure. and 33 starts. I think the expectations, his wins may be down because of how he's used. There may be early in the season, if pitch count gets a little away from him, I could see him being pulled after three or four innings in games that you would like to see him go five or six. I don't expect that he'll go more than six innings this season in games more than a, a, hand, a large handful like sure. maybe eight or nine times this year. Uh, I, I think they're going to be very careful on that innings count. And and with him, don't just watch innings, watch pitch count within yep. games. So um, I think, though, that given that, I think the ERA and, and whip should be pretty good because uh, one of the things he's going to have to learn as he goes along because he's been, he's been treated with pretty much kit gloves all along is how to get, you know, if he's really going to be a top of the rotation starter by 2025, you want to be seeing him near 200 innings and making 33 starts and going deeper into games. And that, that's not always, that's not always the best thing for the players numbers because the more times he faces hitters the third time, He's going to have to learn how to get hitters out that third time. He's he's basically been, uh, like I said, treated with kick gloves, mm-hmm. which means a lot of those numbers are almost like relief pitcher numbers. Yeah. You know, when you throw three innings, there you should you should if you're a really top pitching prospect, you should dominate the first time around the order. Uh, it's the second and third times that he's going to have to navigate, and that will come with refining his pitch selection, whether he can really get his command down and things of that nature. So I'm not expecting the world, but I'd like to see an ERA, given how few innings he'll pitch. I would think 3.3 is about the highest I would want to see out of him. 
and mm-hmm. and with the potential, it could be like two seven, two eight, because of uh, how few innings he'll pitch. Yeah, uh, you look back to um, you look back to Mike Messina, in in his first full season, ERA was well below three. Uh, and this was somebody who's just who was just as highly touted as Grayson Rodriguez. Now, Musina, you can make the the argument that that was the best season of his career was 1992 when he was when he became a full time starter for the first time. Um, it's but he had not been treated not not that he was in the minors that long, mm-hmm. but he he wasn't treated the way that they've treated Grayson Rodriguez. No, there, and, and there were there were six and seven inning starts back in those days. That that's know, true. Rodriguez, they. they you know. They put a lot less focus on um, pitchers, innings, and, and all that back back then. There's yeah. more focus now. And for Grayson, and, yeah. and it, it stinks because it's not really his fault either. It's He was drafted in 2018. He had 2019. It's his first full season, so they're not going to unleash him. 2020, there's no mm-hmm. minor league season. 2021, he's right. he's building up from having missed the previous right. season. That's a good, excellent point. Excellent you know? point. And then uh, last the, year... The pandemic. Is yeah. last year supposed to be the ramp up, and then he misses three months. Literally, his last right. AAA start, he gets injured and he misses three months. So it's it's right. it, it's yeah, been he just probably a, would have thrown. He probably would have thrown one thirty, one forty total innings. I think so too. Not gotten hurt last year. Compare between major league and AAA, he probably would have gotten around that. I agree. Which is where I would have liked to have seen him last year, you know, and not get the injury. So we'll see. We'll yeah. See. Now, fingers, fingers crossed because he is a, a real tremendous talent. He absolutely no is. Yeah, and everybody in Baltimore is waiting with bated breath to see him make his debut, and we think it's going to be to start the year. So we'll we'll see how Grayson Rodriguez does. A lot of expectations there. Somebody else with expectations. I, I will say. Sure. I will say one thing about him. He to me, he is sort of the wild card on whether the Orioles really can can contend for that wild card spot this mm-hmm. year. You know, is if he if he is right at the level we're talking about performance wise and they can squeeze a few more innings out of him and starts. I mean, you know, and lessen the load on the bullpen. But that's why a guy like both or somebody else, maybe at some point Bowman or Rom is sort of a piggyback companion to him. Uh, you know, and can get you to the seventh or eighth inning where your bullpen takes over. Sure. I'm not saying he, Rodriguez, but he goes five innings, and then you're looking at like two innings from both or something like that. That would be really ideal. Especially early in the year without having Dylan Tate. Yep. You kind of minimize the need for a, a Dylan Tate for that first month if you have Grayson going three or four and then somebody like a Voth or a Tyler Wells comes in and takes you into the seventh inning. That really helps the ball club. It, a lot of a lot of big things uh, that are revolving around Grayson Rodriguez and his inclusion on this roster. Yeah, so, no question about it. No question about it. Now, Jackson Holiday not a factor for the Orioles this year. Probably not next year either. We're probably thinking 2025 for him. Uh, but he's just 19 years old. Stan still has the baby face, and he's been invited to spring training. He's been down there. A lot of glowing praise from Brandon Hyde, saying he has special ability and a lot of talent. Um, Again, he has a baby face, but for all intents and purposes, physically imposing, 6'1", 175 pounds, and from what we hear, just solid muscle. Elias says he's there because they think he can handle it. What do you think the importance is of his, the importance is of his being there at just 19 years old with just 20 pro games under his belt? I think it's, uh, it's, it's important in, in terms of growing the type of player he should be 
I think it's important to kind of throw a guy like that in the deep water a little bit, mm-hmm. knowing and feeling like this guy, knows, he innately knows how to swim. Uh, you know, and that's sort of a metaphor for what I'm, I'm saying. This guy is going to figure things out. He's a very, very special talent. And, uh, you know, he's going to be an Oriole for a long time. And uh, I, I agree with you on the time frame. I would think when we're talking about spring training 2025, we're going to be talking about him as a, a potential to either start the season or that he's very close. Um you know, and, you know, we'll see. I'm. You, you, we mentioned, we talked about I'm anxious to see Stowers. Uh, I'm anxious when I get down there. I hope he's still with the team and I get to see him in a couple game situations. And I trust I will. Are you, are you heading down there the first week of March, correct? I'm going the 7th of March. So the first game I will see will be the 8th of March against Pittsburgh at Ed Smith Stadium. All right. Well, that, that should be a great time for you. I know you, you really look forward to your annual trips down there. So, um, yeah. be, be, I, haven't, I haven't done it since 2020. Yeah. Uh, you know. I remember you leaving went, to go do that. Went down just at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, and that, that was when you almost, got, was just start. you almost got killed by a home run ball out there by Boogs in uh, left field, right? That's right. That's right. I remember. Right. I remember got a good well. memory. Got a good memory. Uh, and before we let you go, Stan, you've already mentioned Kyle Stowers yeah. as a player that you're keeping keeping an eye on. Are there any other players, any other pitchers, or maybe both, um, that you are interested in seeing once you get down there? I'm interested in seeing how, how this this whole thing is going to work out with you know the bullpen, uh, trying to figure out how far Bautista is away from being able to help the team, and whether or not my suggestion that they they moved Wells to the pen and have both as either the sixth starter or the or the swing man that, that sort of piggybacks on the days that uh, Grayson pitches. Uh, I'm anxious to see how the pitching is is getting ready for the season. You know. Yeah, th- that's something we're all keeping an eye on because I think that's going to be able to tell the tale of the 2023 Baltimore Orioles is just their rotation and their bullpen and how well they pitch because ultimately pitching wins championships, right, Stan? Yep, yep. Ultimately it does. And I, I left out one player that I think we are, we're all curious on who is the real Ryan Mountcastle. Yep. You know, uh, I alluded to Grayson Rodriguez as sort of the pivotal player the pivotal pitcher on whether or not the Orioles have have depth in the pitching staff, starting staff, to really maintain contention throughout the year. I would think we'd all agree that Mountcastle has to be the player that they estimate he can be, and that includes, you know, being somewhat more selective at the plate. You know, that's the whole key. You know, and it's it's interesting. Paul, real quick, I know you got other things you got to get to, but I'm reading all these players. I'm reading all the Keith Law stuff, and it mostly boils down to that, is pitch recognition, discipline at the plate. That's what separates fair from good and good from great. The better you get at that, and I would say he fails pretty miserably at it at this point in his career. Yeah, and there's there's no doubt yeah. about that. Standard. That doesn't mean his overall numbers fail. The, he, he's 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 in between fair and good, and he's got the ability to be much better than that. He he absolutely does. Him, 
Yeah, we we saw it yeah. all throughout his minor league career, and there, it would be if he had if he had a bad showing uh, one season at a particular level, the next level, the next year he came out that same level and was gangbusters. He won a triple league, triple A league MVP award. The talent is yeah. there. He's got to have the better pitch selection and plate discipline. Uh, for what it's worth, a lot of um, pundits are expecting a big season out of Ryan Mountcastle, and if he puts a big season, the Orioles are going to go uh, are going to go a long way. Yeah. No question about it. All right, Stan. All right, guys. You're coming off a big... Have a good uh, one. What, what do you got coming up this coming week? Uh, Monday, Rick Dempsey joins Ross Grimsley and I at 6 o'clock. Uh, and then Thursday, we got the new football coach at Towson University, Pete Shinnick. Oh, sounds like a good one, Stan. We will, uh, we will be sure to tune in. You have a great week. Talk to you next weekend. Thank you very much, guys. Bye. See you. And that was Stan the Fan Turles, who continues to have two great shows for you every week. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Thursday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross chatted with the great Ben McDonald while Stan and Gary called up with new UMBC soccer coach Anthony Adams. You can find those shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com slash video. Stan and Ross are back on Monday with another great Great show with Orioles legend Rick Dempsey. You don't want to miss that. Also, want to remind you that today's first hour of the Bat Around is brought to you by Birdland Sports. O's fans, did you know that one of your fellow fans is the owner of Birdland Sports? That's right. Josh Soroka from the Section 336 podcast is behind Birdland Sports. He knows what fellow fans want and has created an amazing collection of merchandise just for you. From the popular Birds Are Coming tees to unique player cartoon shirts and World Series prediction designs, Birdland Sports has everything you need to show off your O's pride. With And with prices more affordable than the big guys, you can support a small business run by one of your own. So don't wait. Head to birdlandsports.com today and show your support for the Birds with Birdland Sports. When we come back in, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Orioles roster uh, before we have Eric Garfield from Florida from from Florida Prospect Report. That's next here on the Battleground. There's something for everyone this February at Laurel Park. Come watch live horse racing every Friday through Sunday and join us on Saturday, February 18th for the Winter Stakes Spectacular featuring six stakes races and $900,000 in purses, including the General George and Barbara Fritchie Stakes. The fun doesn't stop there. Stick around for our winter Mardi Gras celebration with live music, delicious food and drinks, and a carnival atmosphere. Plus, don't miss out on President's Day holiday racing on Monday, February 20th. Visit laurelpark.com for more info. That's laurelpark.com for more. See you at the track. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles phenom Gunnar Henderson, breaking down how he was able to become the top prospect in baseball at such a young age, and what could be next in his first full MLB season. Also inside, we meet lacrosse players from the men's and women's college programs across the state, and Bo Smoker breaks down another year wide receiver issues for the Ravens. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich, hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point. Boulevard. All right, welcome back into the batter. I'm rolling right along here on today's show. Uh, really good show so far um, to this point. Want to remind you, today's show is brought to you by. Press box online. Baseball betting is here. Bet $5 with DraftKings and get $200 in instant bonus bets, along with other great incentives and promos when you sign up at PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Baseball futures bets, season specials, and player awards bets are already live in Maryland. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers now for your shot at winning big. All right, so... I'll 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 leave the leave this to you, Zach. Do you want to do your sounding off segment now, or do you want to kind of do some players that this season kind of because we got into it a little bit with Stan? I think we should do your sounding off now, sure. And then we'll go we'll, when after we do our little fun thing on Orioles banter later in the show, we'll talk about um, the season players that the season hinges on the most okay. for the sure. Orioles this year. So what do you got? You have a good one, and we have about 10 minutes to talk about it, so that's good. Perfect. So, yeah, I, I was on GCR yesterday, and my tidbit for the day was that $3 billion annually is what it would take for all of the MLB games to be broadcast under one network, under the MLB umbrella, if that were the you know the way they would go. Right now, obviously, there's there's regional networks everywhere, and I think 14 of them are under the the Bali Sports Network, which now has apparently gone bankrupt, uh, which is a big problem for them, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to do that. Um, and there's obviously the more localized ones like Masson, Nesson, Yes, which only really broadcast one or two teams um, across the country, and you just have a lot of localized, regionalized sports networks networks that generally broadcast through cable that's the way that we've kind of done this for a a very long time now is you know right through cable streaming options have been kind of limited and if you're in your market uh and you want to get mlb tv and watch your team you can't because there's blackout restrictions so there's been a lot of conversation i've talked about this with you before that there's 
the blackout restrictions suck. Everyone knows that. The blackout mm-hmm. restrictions limit who can watch the game, where they can watch the game, how they can watch the game. The streaming options are still terrible. You know, Masson released an app last year. Yes Network has an app. Nesson has an app. Everyone's got an app. The Bully Sports Networks, but they just don't work that well. Usually they're well behind. You're on the Masson app, you're if you're not like nine pitches behind, you're probably you on, know on average from what I've seen. Um, it's about it, it, nine pitches behind. No, it's four. Four? It, really? It's four pitches behind. Maybe but, my internet's but, <laughs> slow. But I don't know. Four, four pitches behind before, the, lot. Impl- before the implementation of the pitch clock this right. year. So it, it, there's a good chance it could be nine. Right. But by there then. is there is a drastic need for standardized streaming. Mm-hmm. Drastic need for it. And MLB.com and, and MLB TV, all that, that is what I would consider standardized streaming. It's all under one umbrella. But blackout restrictions make it so that's basically useless for so many people me and you being the same way i am someone who does not have cable i live in an apartment that does not have cable i pay for um i pay for other services to to try to watch the orioles but i still don't get the orioles uh through anything else but the mass and app that's the only way i can watch the orioles and you know hulu is not an option uh you know any of the the regular streaming services do not carry mass or any of the other regional sports mm-hmm. networks so the problem is for me is that i'm like a lot of other people where we're cord cutting. We don't have cable, and we want to watch these baseball teams. There needs to be a way for everything to get under one umbrella uh, and, and make it make financial sense for MLB, of course, and, and make it make financial sense for consumers. I mean, we don't want to be paying two hundred dollars to to watch uh, just one network and, and one team every year. But make it so that blackout restrictions are gone. That's the first thing. But also standardize this at a higher level. Standardize streaming, but also keep cable around for the people who want to watch cable. And make this so that everyone has the ability to watch their team when they want to watch the team. It, this is a problem that directly affects me. And this is one of the things that I've you know, been looking at for years is how can I watch the Orioles without having cable? And it just isn't a good experience. No one wants to be four pitches behind. No one. No. So they need to create a standardized system for all of this that works. And honestly, I, I think they'd get... a twofold more viewership than they do right now there would be a drastic increase in who watches baseball and probably the demographics to watch baseball we've talked so much about how they fail to market players and how you know there really isn't a young population watching baseball the average viewer is like 60 years old at this point which is a huge problem for baseball and if they standardize this they make streaming better and they make it with more options and they make it more efficient and easy for consumers everyone's going to start being more appreciative of what the game has to offer and there's going to be more viewership. I guarantee it. So uh, that's that's my piece on this topic. No, I, I, I 100% agree with you. And I really hate being four pitches behind. which like, yes. It will probably be more like nine this year because right. of the pitch clock. Um, I really hate that, especially when you're live tweeting. Right. When, sure. when, yeah. If you're watching the game and everybody's tweeting what they, what they see mm-hmm. and it's like you go to tweet because Ryan Mountcastle just hit a home run or... Right. You're you're tweeting about the previous thing, and Ryan Mountcastle right. Mountcastle hits a home run, and people are talking about it, and you still have to wait four more pitches before you see that. Yeah, it it sucks, and right. it, and it ruins the game experience for you yeah. if you want like the look. You don't have to be on social media while you're watching the game, yeah. but let's be realistic about this. A lot of us are. Yeah. Whether if we're excited because something great's happening or we or pissed off because something terrible's happening, we're on social media. We're talking about it, yeah. you know. And in this day and age, especially if you want to do shows like this, you have to be. Right. You know, people and people have come to expect it. How are you going to be able to enjoy right. a game if you're behind? If you're behind everybody else. Not so, only that, the, the regional sports model ne- of network model, I should say, is old. 
and mm-hmm. antiquated. And mm-hmm. you you have all of these networks that, like Madison, Madison's a great example because we talked about this on the show yesterday, that they have shows and they've had shows, but they haven't been necessarily successful. Mm-hmm. Um, even Stan had a show on, on Madison at one point and they cut his show. So it's there needs to be a revitalization of all of this and I think putting it under the MLB umbrella where we don't have these regional sports networks anymore like Nesson like Madison I think it'd just be a lot more productive for everyone it it would be but then you have to factor in how much money are well, the team th- three billion annually that was the that was the cost right the, the annually three billion annually is the cost for sorry I, I was trying to listen to you and sure so put some stuff together so three billion is annual is a cost annually for what would be under the MLB umbrella or what exactly. the, or that's what it, that's what it yes. would cost right yes. so three billion dollars and what goes into those costs well there that that was just a tweet uh, from one of the MLB reporters it doesn't really say what exactly goes into that cost and how much teams are paying how much the league is paying itself that would all obviously all be be figured out in the long run I guess but three billion dollars annually is the estimated cost that it would take um, which is a huge cost don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but I think between the league and between the teams themselves they make so much money annually uh, you know as, as far as revenue and, and now obviously it's spiking after covid now that attendance is coming back and merchandise mm-hmm. sales are increasing um, and TV rights deals make them incredible amounts of money anyway so I, I think that cost would be pretty easily offset uh, they, they generally make anywhere from like 11 to 15 million dollars yeah. a year 15 billion right billion. dollars a year so if you take three billion dollars out of that and uh, then split uh, it evenly yeah, it, it, yeah, I, it's something that, that definitely should be considered. And even um, Rob Manfred, I almost called him Fred Manfred. <laughs> even Rob Manfred said that they are certainly with the blackout restrictions, they are on the wrong side of the coin, as he right. said, from where they want to be with that. So maybe this is something that isn't far off, something that isn't so unlikely. Clearly, if they're thinking days. about it. The, and that's why I brought it up. Something has to be done because if I want to watch my team and I live in if I want to watch the Orioles and I live in North Carolina I can't watch them mm-hmm. because I, I'm blacked out for, for some weird reason and yeah. and if my cable company in North Carolina doesn't carry mass and what am I supposed to do right with that right. you know the, the blackout restrictions need to go away yeah um the, the people are still going to watch regardless right. uh, t- to me it's it's th- something needs to be done so, something needs to be done about it. You're you're really just alienating a, a whole sector of your exactly. fans because they don't have an opportunity to watch the teams that they love. Right. And and I'll, and I'll tell you, I one of the things I love about MLB TV is not only can I watch you know teams that I'm interested. What I like to be able to watch teams I'm interested in. I like to watch other teams, and I can't watch the Phillies down. Well, no, I can. I, I believe you can. Yeah. I can because my, my my stepdad is a is a huge Phillies fan. Just the and, Nats and, and the the O's are. are blacked I, I out can't here. If, if well I can watch the Nats on Masson, but correct if, yeah. If, if, I mean. But yeah. if I don't have cable, I can't watch. Like you said, if I don't have cable, I can't watch Masson. Right. You know, so something something absolutely needs to be done. I like to watch the Dodgers. I like to watch the the, the Padres. I would love to watch. Um, the, the Mets because I love Buck and I think they have a really good team up there. The Braves, you know, it, it's they need to do something about it. Absolutely, yeah. I, th- I I think you're spot on here. And maybe like like you said, maybe something's in the works because they certainly are. It is on their minds. They're not. You would have to hope it. so. You would yeah. have to hope so. It wouldn't make sense to not be thinking about it because you're ultimately around because of the fans, and the fans are unhappy with the product with the the product with the product you're putting out. Yeah. You, then you're not doing your job. So no, that that's. That is a good one, Zach. I certainly appreciate your efforts on that one. Um, coming up in just a matter of moments here on the show, we have Eric Garfield uh, from the Florida Prospect Report. Eric is down at in Sarasota um, every day. 
he lives down there, so he gets to go. He gets to see uh, the Orioles' prospects on a regular basis, the Orioles' players on a regular basis. He's going to give us some insight into what's going on there. But before he does, I want to remind you that PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio is the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. You can watch the show every weekday from 10 to noon at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or facebook.com slash pressboxsports or you can listen to pressboxonline.com slash radio with podcasts available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Guys, you never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with former Georgia coach and John Harbaugh's brother-in-law, Tom Crean, Jackass and Viva La Bam star Brandon Novak, and Maryland women's basketball star Shy Sellers. You can find those interviews and more right now in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. Oh, by the way, you can also find Zach Goodman, who was on the show this Friday as he was uh, filling in for Griffin uh, on the show. So that's even more reason to go check out Glenn Clark Radio. Um, moving on here on the bat around joining us now we love having this guy on the show he's always got really great intel on Orioles prospects Orioles players that he sees down in spring training from the Florida prospect report he is Eric Garfield Eric it's Paul it's Zach good morning how are you uh very excited I'm about to leave in a couple minutes and go to the Orioles game so uh happy Saturday and Welcome back to baseball. Nice to talk to you guys. Yeah, it's it's nice to talk to you. And be, first and foremost, before we do that, congratulations on your O's podcast family feud victory. I want to offer you my sincerest apology. I was not a good a good loser. I was a very <laughs> sore loser about that. I have very heightened expectations you, for myself. I'm very competitive. You guys did a hell of a job. You lost your first round matchup and then rattled off what was it, six, seven straight victories to bring home the championship there, Eric? I think it was seven, and you know we're boys. You don't have to apologize. You you know you guys you guys were you guys were good. We knew we really knew as we closed towards the end that it was going to be us versus you, and it was going to be it was going to be very difficult. Like I, I I can tell you, we really prepared like like uh, an athletic team. Like we knew we were going to get challenged. We knew we were going to face adversity and get things wrong that we thought we were going to get right and. We knew it would come down to the end. Really, I mean, for the people that listen, and I guess for us too, the fact that it came down to, like, the last question on the last matchup is really appropriate. I mean, you you guys are a good team. If we would have lost you, we would have felt, you know, cool with congratulating you, but it really was it really was a lot of fun. So I give him the most credit to Ryan for thinking it up and executing it. I, I will tell you, Ryan deserves a hell of a lot of credit. He spent a good bit of time putting that thing together, and he's already working yeah, on next offseason's uh, Orioles Jeopardy, which I'm really, really looking forward to. I'll tell you, Eric, for the, as long as I live, maybe not as long as I live, but for a while I will never forgive myself for allowing us to pass on years that the Orioles won the AL East because I'm sitting there. And, and Bailey I, got, and Bailey somehow guessed. Somehow that it was 1969. I'll never understand how he knew that. I think it was a. It, it, he's just taken World Series years, right? And for me, I, I shook my head. No, I thought that was your third strike because I didn't realize that. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that 66. It was just American League and National League, and your American League uh, regular season champion faced off against your National League season champion, um, regular season champion in the World Series. I wasn't sure. If that was the case in 1969, I knew divisions came not too long after that. And 1969, yes, they had the American League East and West and the same thing in the National League. And I sat there, Eric, and when when we <laughs> passed, 
I then sat there and I counted on my fingers all the years that I knew for sure that the Orioles had made it, had won the American League East, and I was like, oh my god, I got all of them. I cannot believe that we passed on this. So it was ultimately, I may have been upset about the subjective questions, but ultimately we lost because of an objective question that we could have gotten right and we passed on. Um, Kudos to you guys. The strategy is the difficult part, not the facts, not the recall. The strategy and and, and getting it right with your decisions, that's the hard part. Absolutely. So, again, congratulations to you and Bailey. A job well done. What a run for you guys to win the inaugural season of O's Podcast Family Feud. Maybe the only season because I don't know how he'll come up with more questions if he ever does it again. Um, Moving on to this year's Baltimore Orioles, Eric. You were down there every day. You're looking, you're seeing all the prospects all the players, how is the team overall looking, in your opinion? Mm, wow, that's a great opening question. Uh, I'm going to say incrementally better than last year and prospects specifically. There's definite, uh, you know, development is full of peaks and valleys, but if you look close enough and really, like, go every single day, watch the routines, who's doing what, you can see that there's been uh, growth with all the big-name guys that, are, that, are, that have been invited to, uh, to Major League Camp. So I don't know if it means playoffs for the organization overall, but I definitely think that they're getting, they're getting closer and they were closer than a calendar year ago. Eric, I'm really curious. Have you gotten the chance to see James McCann yet at all? I'm very excited to see James McCann this year, what he can possibly bring to that backup position. I'm pretty sure that I have seen him, but I don't recognize him, so I wouldn't know him Fair enough. Uh, in, 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 in the cage. I know that I have seen him in drills. He has like a, a monogrammed uh, like chest protector and leg protector, so if I, if I zoom in, I can tell that it's him. So I've really only seen him like squatting, popping up, and catching, catching bullpens. But yeah, I mean... To have a legitimate backup to one of the, you know, to like an MVP candidate is, is huge. You know, Adley's, Adley's starting today. He's not starting a catcher. So it's more than just like an interesting tidbit. You know, we need to save this young player's legs and athletic ability. And James McCann, you know, on a very discounted rate is, is the key to how that's going to happen. Yeah, look, for me, Eric, when the Orioles went out and we knew they needed a backup catcher, we were kind of resigning ourselves to the fact it was going to be Anthony Bamboom or um, uh, Maverick Hanley or Brett Cumberland or somebody like that. And then they go out and they pull off this trade for James McCann. How big is it for the Orioles to have somebody the caliber of James McCann to be their backup behind Adley? I think think it's very crucial. Like, when you're getting better— the marginal stuff has to be positive and on your side. So I think the guys that you named would be kind of maybe ranging from adequate to less than adequate. But James McCann is a 500, has been a 500 at bat player on a good team, plenty of experience, the little things, dealing with pitchers, communicating. This, this, this is a pro, not a minor leaguer transitioning to the pros. So. Uh, I think it lends more than just a bit of legitimacy. He, you know, he doesn't stink. He's actually kind of not that bad offensively for, for a backup role. Sure. So I think the key is going to be utilizing him effectively, not overplaying or underplaying him, just finding that, that balance of playing time with, that works for him and works for Adley's legs. 
Yeah, it, it, and maybe the uh, the idea of keeping him fresh, having him not have to be that main guy behind the dish where he only has to play maybe 80 games this year between first, DH, and catcher, it'll uh, lead to uh, better offensive production than he had last year where he was a pretty, just like Ryan Mountcastle, he was a pretty unlucky guy at the plate. So definitely somebody that we could keep an eye on and not have to worry that, oh, great, it's a Sunday day game after a Saturday night game. Now we have Robinson Chirinos. No, you got James McCann. He's a legitimate big league catcher. So that's exciting. Now, let's get to some of these prospects here, uh, uh, Eric. And we'll start off with guys that we think are going to factor into this Orioles team this year. And chief among them, at least on the pitching side of things, is Grayson Rodriguez. From what we're hearing, he has better stuff than everybody else. That's that's down there. That's in a, that's a rotation candidate. Uh, a lot of people believe, including Michael Elias, that he's going to be part of the Orioles' opening day rotation. Have you gotten a chance to see uh, a lot of Grayson? How has he looked? How's the ball coming out of his hand? Because we're going to hear that a lot this spring. How does Grayson look? Uh, that's another great question. Uh, I have seen him like zoom in and, and post videos and stuff of him having a catch and pronating and releasing. So coming out of his hand, I'd say absolutely elite without question, the best in the organization in a tier by himself. I still say better than Andrew Painter, I'm biased, better than Yuri Perez on the Marlins. Like, this is the best right-handed or just the best pitching prospect in the minor leagues. Haven't seen him at full go, like full exertion, because those mounds are far, well, a lot. I have seen him a little. But, you know, his endurance is good. They, They had, like, the simulated game just for him where he pitched like an inning sits down for three or four minutes gets up pitches another inning so that was closer to like 70 or 80 percent all his pitches look great his leadership is the thing that I look at all the time like you know he really is that that guy that wants to give the speech in the locker room that hasn't changed one bit since being injured everybody looks up to him kind of like because he's around the, the vets are starting to look up to him, so it's it really is all systems go. And the more that I look at the situation, the more that I think, so unfortunate, this guy was like 20, 30, 50 pitches away from being a big leaguer 10 months ago. So for, for an athlete like him, making him wait even longer is just re- legitimate fuel to the fire. So I, I definitely expect when camp breaks, he'll be on the Orioles and not the Norfolk Tides. And, you know, it's going to be a, 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 a good season. He's going to, like, I've been listening to your whole show. He's going to get the innings that the organization requires out of him as long as he's healthy. But I think overall the innings are going to be more, more positive than negative. Yeah, I I agree. Stan put some lofty expectations. He said the highest ERA he wants to see from him is about 3-3, which for a rookie in this day and age, to me, that's that's like some astronomical expectations. Yeah, it's it's some big expectations. You're talking about probably the best ERA on the staff from the starting rotation, if that's the case. But this is a guy who has been highly touted as that dude. How unrealistic really are those expectations when you look at what Grayson Rodriguez is expected to be? Well, I expect a lot. I expect him to successfully end uh, at bats and strikeouts. So I'd probably be more like looking at. K per nine, K per inning, K rate overall, and less walks. So, you know, critical of what he's doing when, when, when the count gets to, to three balls. Uh, I guess, yeah, I, I'm going to side with you and say that, like, focusing on ERA might be tough. 
I'd be happy with, with like four, four, four and a quarter, four and a half maybe, as long as he's healthy and there's you know not a lot of solid contact in play for base hits against him. Those are the type of things that I'm looking at. But really, he's so young and in that transitioning phase of development, the most important thing is for him to be in good shape and ready to continue using his arm like 10 or 11 months from, from, from now when the season is over. So I guess all, all those things are, are somewhat primary, but his health and his you know, physical ability is, is, is the true primary objective that, that I'm looking at for this season. Just get through the innings, be healthy. No, then he can start to dominate. I, absolutely. If Grayson Rodriguez is healthy and he's getting his innings, he'll be dominant. He'll figure it out at the big league level, and he'll be dominant as early as this year. His talent, I, I think, is just that good. Now, um, there's no doubting the talent of Gunnar Henderson, number one overall prospect by just about every publication right now. Um, apparently, he showed up to camp and put on even more muscle uh, than he had before. But you ha- you saw a little bit of a liability, I guess, early on in his defense. How's he looked defensively? How's the bat looked? And what can we expect out of Gunnar Henderson in his first full big league season? Uh, well, you know, seeing Gunnar here, like, as the number one prospect and as kind of like, like a man, it really makes me think about, like, how long I've been doing this, how much I've been paying attention because you know, I remember when he was, like, <laughs> like a real teenager, <laughs> like not, not a man, like considerably younger. So watching him go from that to now, I'm really in no way surprised. You know, I started writing about him way back when. So, uh, yeah, he's bigger, definitely bigger in the middle, bigger in the arms specifically, like, like the forearms. Mm-hmm. So those are the things, you know, th- that's the body parts that really drive the ball when you can impact it cleanly. So I guess, he, in the cage, he looks good. He looks, you know, he looks great. He kind of, from what I'm noticing, takes a little bit longer to get warmed up through practice. Like last year, he was losing a lot of the practice competition to Jordan Westberg in drills. So, you know, when, when he gets started, he ends up as the number one prospect in the sports. So I don't want this to really sound like, uh, like I'm wrecking him, but he is very much a shortstop. At shortstop defensively, he is an A+. The footwork, the pivoting, the gather especially, and the throws from the hole are A+. Outstanding. That's his position. When I read things about him being a natural third baseman or a guaranteed gold glove third baseman, I have you know many minutes of drills on my phone where you can see that he is, he is simply not, he's not that. He is a natural shortstop. His skill set has improved at third base and protecting that corner, but that pivot and that particular throw and stride all the way across the diamond, that's just not what he does well in baseball. And when you look at him like one position over, he is elite. He is a major league shortstop, not an average one, a really good one. Maybe at the end of the year, he'll have seven, eight errors, but you know, that's, it's an everyday player. So at, at third base, I would think that number would be closer to 17 or 18. So, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that watches all the drills and it's really kind of hard for me to criticize a player that I like, but he is, he's just, you know, when people read or write that he's a third baseman, they're not the ones that are sitting there watching the, 
the misguided throws and the, the less than perfect play. And, and so this worries you for the season. It's, you don't think this is just a byproduct of it being early and just getting your feet under you to start spring training. You think that this is something, is this something that you saw from him in games last year uh, that, that concerned you? And then it, your concerns were reaffirmed getting into spring training this year. Uh, probably just, you know, I've, I've, I, you know, my, I wrote an article in 2020 that said, I think the Orioles will return to contention when Kobe Mayo is the third baseman and Gunner is the shortstop. So I've kind of always, always felt this way. I, I wouldn't categorize the way that I feel as, as worried at all. I'm very happy. The Orioles have developed an outstanding major league shortstop who's oh, ready absolutely. to be an all-star and maybe, maybe the rookie of the year, but you know, the, 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 the talk about him being a third baseman, it's, it's not like, it's not incorrect, but I just don't see a real reason to do that when just 12 feet over, he'd be one of the best in the league, one of the best in the sport. Yeah, I, I, and it leads you to the other thing where the Orioles have five, six in, uh, infield prospects that, that can play shortstop, and that's before you think about Jorge Mateo. So in your estimation, would it be better for the Orioles to start the year with Gunnar Henderson at shortstop and Gold Glover Ramona Rios uh, manning the hot corner? Uh, that's, that's definitely a yes, but, you know, as far as, you know, I don't even like to use the word problem. Like, that is, that is, that's what you need to be a good organization. You need that that competition where there's a top guy and everybody else is fighting for it. Yo, think about three and a half weeks ago, Daryl Hornais was still in the picture. Yeah. That would mean there was, there were seven. So, you know, you, you have to start thinking about what the competition does to these athletes. Everybody, I mean, I don't want to, everybody's gunning for Gunner at that number one spot. He's, he's not break. He's not losing that spot to Joey Ortiz. I can tell you, Joey Ortiz, has not made one defensive error in practice yet this season. He's not he's not overtaking Gunners. So yeah, it's, it's the kind of competition that makes systems better, and the Orioles are utilizing it to, to the absolute max. I really love to see it. Yeah, they certainly have. And again, when we say it's a good problem to have, it's you have too many guys for too little spots. And Gunnar Henderson, we know that offensively, he's going to be that dude. Everything that we've seen shows he's going to be that dude. It's just a matter of, is that glove going to play where they have him? And are they going to be forced to move him over the shortstop? And I don't think you're going to be sorry at the end of the day, wherever he plays, because I think he's that special of a talent. And you very clearly do as well. You know, we're not, we're not going to make a mistake here. You love Gunnar Henderson and we know that, you know, it's just everybody has a weakness. You know, everybody has a weakness weakness and Absolutely. we, we got to yeah. be doing we got to do both sides of the line here with with these prospects yeah. you know what I mean so um now yeah. also you mentioned Joey Ortiz and he you said he hasn't made an error that you've seen uh in in yeah. in spring training to start could this guy factor in if, if they keep Gunner at third base how long could it be and how much of a uh, let me see, see if I can figure out how to phrase this how early could we see him if Jorge Mateo's um bat doesn't get off to a hot start? It really depends what the organization prioritizes. I mean, I can tell you the, the, the way to think about it is it's a, it's a music video and everybody is a backup dancer and Joey Ortiz is the lead singer. Just the way, the way that he moves, the way that he puts his body in position, reaches for the ball with his glove, 
digs into his glove. I mean, he is so flawlessly perfect. It's like, it's like Javi Baez. It's like some of the all-time greats. I really I want to see hard ground balls hit right at his feet because he's never going to make he's never going to make a mistake. So, you know, while that part of his game really, really does stand out, I don't, you know, I, he's a good hitter, but in the cage and, you know, looking at the stats and, and game performance, he hasn't brought that to the table as consistently as the defensive skills. So I, I wonder if the organization might skip over that, that guaranteed error-free glove for someone like Westberg, who just, you know, has high WRC plus and can hit a lot of home runs per at bat or per game. And so it, it, it really, it depends. The answer when we see who like breaks camp with the club or who gets that first promotion when a starter is slumping that, you know, that'll kind of be an indication. I always prefer defense, but it's the American league East. The Orioles expectations are a little bit loftier. So, you know, I, I don't know how much is it really, worth protecting against that that one run when you're really trying to to capitalize on on more rally situations for yourself you know i'm not i'm not i'm not the kind of baseball mind that can really calculate that very well no i i get it man it's it's a hard ask you know and like like we've said they have a lot of prospects for not a lot of spots that are knocking on the door and you know not to mention you mentioned jordan westberg and i think we all agree that he's probably gonna end up playing second base for the Baltimore Orioles, just because of who you are, who you have coming up in the woodworks in the next couple of years, and who's already there on the left side, um, so you really have to think who's going to be playing shortstop. And Westberg is he going to be blocked by Adam Frazier and Ramon Arias? Again, it's a good problem to have, but you have a lot of talent, and you're not going to be happy to see any of these guys go or not get their chance. But it might be a good thing because if they're not getting their chances, because somebody else is playing really well. So I know we only got a couple of minutes left here with you, Eric, and I do have some more players I want to ask you about. Um, I feel sure. like maybe your favorite prospect is Kobe Mayo, and it looks like from the videos that, that, you, that you've shared, it looks like he's just mashing as per usual. Kind of a down season for him last year. I know he had some injuries that he was dealing with. Um, we assume he's probably going to start the year at Double A Bowie. Uh, how long before he gets up to AAA? Do you think he can have an impact on the big league club this year, or is he still more like, like, likely a year away? Ooh. Uh, yes to Bowie. May, maybe at the earliest, maybe May 8th, May 15th is usually when they do the first wave. So if things are all going swimmingly, that could be the promotion date to AAA. And I don't think his batting practice exploits are going to stop being astounding when he gets to the major leagues. I think somehow he's improved his core. He's improved his middle. He had great exit velocities last year. And I think somehow they're, they're even better as he physically matures. You know, I I stopped filming the videos of where the ball went and just started filming his swings so we can see the legs and midsection this guy is a freak. I mean, he's like, like, like what Richie Sexton was for, for us. Like, you just knew with that, that long swing, if he makes connection, it is just going so far in the opposite direction so fast. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've always trusted his skill set, and now he's bringing a little more strength and athleticism to the equation. And that's before we talk about how 
how truly of a good third baseman he is. I mean, I've I've been watching I've been watching minor league players develop for a little while, and he just has the best corner protecting skill set to go with that tall six five body that can get up and get liners. You know, he is the perfect third baseman, and that's also part of the reason why I think Gunner is a shortstop because we have a better defensive option. You know, in a different tier defensively, right right next to him in Kobe. So. You know, there's there's a lot of exciting prospects, but you got it right. He is without question the one I'm I'm the most excited about. I see a 30 home run season for him this year, but I really see a 30 home run for him every every single year. Yeah, he he's got a ton of power, and I remember when they drafted him, seeing him play down in the in the um, Florida Complex League. The swing was just so fast and so pretty, and when he squares it up, that ball goes a country mile. Uh, and the, the arm grade is elite, 70, 80 grade arm on a scale of, what is it, what's the scale, 20 to 80? He's got an elite grade arm. A lot of people seem to think that he may uh, have to move off of third base, go over the first base, or be in the outfield. I don't, I, I like the idea of the Orioles, because ha- they don't really have a great first base prospect in the minor league system. And if Ryan Mountcastle doesn't put it together, you'd like to have somebody that can push him. You would love to have that, but you also, I, I don't want to waste his arm. Over at first base, you really believe so much in, in, in his glove and his bat that this is a guy you think is going to be a cornerstone for them uh, maybe as early as 2024. Oh, I would not. I, I'm not of the mindset to, to waste that ability at, at third base. Regardless, you know, you can you can shore up first base a number of ways. I, I, I bet he'd be adequate there or good. But, you know, you, you don't want to waste that, that skill set unless it's for someone that's you know, one of the top-level free agents or, you know, I don't know, someone like a Manny Machado or Otani or some, someone like that, then you might want to think about thwarting his development or putting it in another way just to keep his, his bat in the lineup. But, you know, if I'm talking at a meeting and we're talking about, like, average dudes moving Kobe over from third base, I'm always going to say, no, I want those plays made by, by him. I want that ground covered by him. I want that, that charging one-hander on a bunt that I've seen him execute so perfectly. You know, I, I want that to be to be him until he proves that he can't do it. Yeah, no, and, and he should be given every opportunity. I know, I know that he was a little bit hurt last year. The exit velocity was still there, but the average was down. I, I agree with you. I think he's going to have a big year at Bowie. And a, a lot of guys get to Bowie um, that, struggled at, that struggled at Aberdeen, and they get to Bowie and the bat improves because it's an easier park to hit in. It'll be interesting to see the numbers that he puts up at Double A, and just to have another guy like that where it wasn't that long ago that people were projecting he might be the best offensive prospect in baseball at some point. He, you know, if everything that you're saying is true about him and everything that I've seen about him is true, that, that is still a possibility for him. Number one thing, he's got to stay on the field. If he stays on the field, stays healthy, the production I think is going to be there. I think you and I are on the same page with him there. Now, Eric, how much time do you have left? Because I have two more players I want to ask you about. Go ahead. It's no problem. We got time. All right. Um, The first guy, we're going to end on a pitcher. So we're going to go to Samuel Basayo. He looks like an absolute unit. The guy is, he looks, he looks just physically imposing. He's just 18 years old. Uh, it looks like a great catcher. Problem is, Adley's a catcher. And if, if Samuel Basayo is maybe three years away, Adley's still going to be here. Can he play first base? And should we expect him to be an affiliated ball to start this season? Okay. Great questions. And I'm extremely happy you asked about him because I can say with confidence that I'm more educated and experienced with watching him than anyone else 
There is. So, will he be a catcher long-term? I don't know. It's strange to see somebody that's so big continually squatting. You know, your, your life is squatting 10,000 times a year, 50,000 times. So, it's, he's, gonna, he's very tall, and he's probably going to get even a little taller. So, that is, it's, it's hard to see. I probably would place him as a true first-base prospect playing catcher right now. I've also seen him in the FCL play first base, not extensively, but as a, a low percentage mix, he's actually complete, you know, it's, he's completely awesome. I've posted the video. He can scoop it. He can jump. He guards the bag. He's a great, you know, that blocking balls in the dirt is a baseball skill that he has in, in spades. So he can play that and he probably will play that. I, you know, he's extremely young. He's the youngest guy in Major League camp, except for the, the players' toddlers. So he's really young. And even if he does fulfill that track, like you said, you know, three years away, I, I, I don't think he's really making noise as far as, like, influencing the Major League roster, especially a player of, like, Adley's caliber. If he is, you know, then, then the international draft of, of 2019 or 2018 was uh, an absolute monster, just like Basayo is. So that would be like the best case scenario. But for a young player, a young minor league catcher, you know, he's, he's losing the baby fat and he impacts the ball. You know, he, he might have been, I'm going to say, like the second or third best player in the whole complex league last year behind Junior Caminero of the Rays and Miguel Blyce on the, on the Red Sox. And those guys are explosive prospects. So Basaya was really right with the best hitters in, in his league at 17 years old. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's impressive. How tall is he? He looks like he's probably about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I'm going to say he's 6'3 three and 3 quarters, if not 6'4". So... When he finishes up, he could just be scratching six foot five, or maybe even taller. His, you know, this, you go by by the parents. His family has come to the to the FCL. You know, by the way, he's got a little brother who's who's absolutely awesome, a, a righty shortstop. But his dad is like six four, six five. So Sam's going to be maybe even a little taller. It's so funny. The website MLB or MILB.com has his weight listed at one eighty. And you know the day the day I met him, I could tell clearly that he was significantly heavier than that. Yeah, he he, look, he looks bigger. He's he's a tall guy and he's a muscular guy. He looks just like like I said, he looks like a like a freaking unit. You know, it, it, I'm excited for him because if he ends up being a first base prospect, that's a guy who three years down the line could be an imposing figure in the middle of an Orioles lineup. So we will be sure to keep an eye on him. Is the expectation from you oh, that absolutely. he starts out at uh, Delmarva this year? Yeah, prominent. Yep, yep, he'll be there. Yep, all right. And then lastly, Cade Povich came over in the Jorge Lopez trade last year. Uh, I believe he's a 22-year-old left-handed uh, starting pitcher. Apparently, he's been dazzling. What have you seen from Cade Povich? Is there reason to get excited about this kid? Okay, he might be the pitcher that I've actually seen the most of in camp. And yes, absolutely. I was listening to to, to your show from the from the beginning, and I'm really glad you asked about him for several reasons. Uh, his pitch mix is four seam, curveball, and then a little like a battle between slider and changeup for the for the third one. You know, like what he's going to throw it like two and one or two and two. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Matt, you know, 
One of the reasons I'm glad you asked is because after Grayson and after D.L. Hall, I'm kind of just like a lot of Orioles prospect fans, like who's going to be the next guy that steps up. I used to think it was going to be Zach Peak before he got hurt, but now I think it's, it's, it's going to be Povich, and I really am a huge supporter of Noah Denoyer. They've actually, they're, they're throwing partners, but I like Povich because he's lefty and his spin is just more natural. He can really, really, really make it spin right off the fingers, his curveball is very it's, – it's really kind of like Clayton Kershaw's. He'll put it right in the hitter's face and let, him, let them see him, like, yanking it down. And he'll, you know, he'll let them know it's a curveball, but he really trusts that movement. And sometimes it's just so precise and so late that, you know, this, this is going to be a high strikeout per nine guy. And the ability to use four pitches, the fact that he's lefty, you know, I, I look at the trade with Jorge Lopez. You know, I know, I know the minors. I saw Nunez and Rojas pitch when they were on the Twins. Like, I kind of think the Twins should have probably done the deal and not thrown in Povich at all, and it still would have been a fair deal. Like, it's, it's hard for me to believe that an organization that kind of develops pitching really well and knows what they have, like, really early on in development, like the Twins, would give this guy up at all. They must have thought the world of Jorge Lopez. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like in-the-margins type thing, but just getting Povich at all is a huge, huge victory. The fact that he's going to slot in and start striking people out on the farm is, you know, a, a major, major trade deadline win for the Orioles. This guy is fully legit. Also has a really good pickoff move, really good pickoff move. That's that's a good pickoff move from a lefty is a thing of beauty. When they have a like, right. you think of Andy Pettit. You know, when the lefty has has a, a good pickoff move, it's like I said, a, a thing of beauty. And if he's as good as as you're saying, he was good enough certainly to get. I believe in the top, what was it, top fifty uh, on MLB Pipeline's top one hundred uh, prospects list. People must be seeing the same thing you're seeing, and he's probably going to start this year at Double A Bowie. You're, you're expecting this guy to maybe make a big league impact uh, by 2024. Oh, I can, oof, man, may, honestly, if he gets a little bit bigger, you know, kind of like you read about him or see his scouting reports and they say like 91 to 93, I think he's already up to 95. So, you know, he gets a little bit bigger. He, he's, he's a slender athlete, but a little bit bigger. Yeah, I think 2024 is totally, re, totally reasonable. I also think that last year when he came over and uh, adjusted to our system, he didn't perform like he's going to perform this year. He just looked yeah. like a really confident guy, into his routine, extremely focused. And when it's time for him to throw lives or go in a throwing session or do drills, you know, he, he just looks like he really doesn't look like a minor leaguer. He, he, he goes through about his business like a big league guy. Awesome. We, we, we're super excited. You, you're getting us amped up for all these prospects, amped up to watch some Orioles spring training. You're going to the uh, to the game yourself right now, so we're going to let you uh, head on out of here. Before you do, what do you got coming up on the Florida Prospect Report? Well, we're going to have a lot of episodes covering the minor leagues like we do. Uh, fans are, are very appreciative that we give them the perspective to watch stuff, whatever's going on in Florida that they can't be here for. Like, you guys were talking about the weather you know, it's already like 84 degrees. I'm slathered in sunblock just to drive over. So, you know, it's a little bit different in Florida. We really like to, to give that perspective. And, uh, 
We'll have a lot of shows, a lot of minor league games, a lot of camps and practices to cover. So thanks very much for asking. Eric, thank you for constantly tuning in. Thanks for uh, taking some time for us. Say we love talking with you. We'll talk to you again here down the line. Go enjoy the game today, all right? Baseball's back. Same to you guys. Happy Saturday. All right, man. See you later. That was Eric Garfield from Florida Prospect Report joining us on the battle round today. Just so much to be enthused about. And when you talk to Eric, you can't help but get excited about what the Orioles have coming through the pipeline. Um, so, just again, special thanks to Eric for being a, continuing to be a great guest on the show today. Uh, on the show today and every other time he comes on the program. Um, we got to get another break when we come back in. We're going to do sounding off with Zach Goodman, some Orioles banter. Uh, but before we do that, I know that we are promoting our uh, PressBoxOnline.com offers. Um, but we also want you to do things responsibly. Uh, gambling it can be fun, but you should set a limit and stay within it. And remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. That's HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Catching a break when we come back. Orioles banter and sounding off. That's next on The Battle Round. The Baltimore County Police Department is hiring. Entry-level officers started over $60,000 and over $64,000 for lateral officers with $10,000 signing bonuses available. Plus, cadets started over $32,000. Great benefits are available like medical, dental, and vision insurance, tuition reimbursement, 15 sick days per calendar year with no limit, career advancement to more than 20 specialized units, and more with further incentives for military service members and veterans. A passion for service, a career for life, with the Baltimore County Police Department. Find out more at joinbaltimorecountypd.com or call 410-887-5542. Must be a United States citizen, have a valid driver's license and a high school diploma or GED equivalent. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has up their game. They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food. 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn over 4100 North Point Boulevard. Are you a diehard O's fan looking for the perfect way to show your team spirit? Look no further than Birdland Sports. Birdland Sports is a small business run by fans for fans. They offer a wide variety of unofficial O's merchandise from the Birds Are Coming tees to player cartoon shirts and more. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. So head to BirdlandSports.com and grab your gear today. Show your support for the Birds with Birdland Sports. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. I'm Griffin Bass, and I have the extraordinary, mind-blowing, and life-affirming pleasure of being the new producer for the absolute funniest, smartest, and most handsome sports host in all of Baltimore. Wait a second. Glenn, I'm working for you, not Jeremy Kahn. If you're not listening to Glenn Clark Radio, here's what you're missing. He's Coach Kevin Willard. Glenn, thanks for having me. Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Mr. Marcus Williams, who's now with us. Man, appreciate it. Happy to be on. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me, I had a great time. The great 
Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. He is Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. Watch Glenn Clark Radio at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline and listen live at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio or anytime on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Bat Around. Great show today. Uh, and Zach reminded me during the break that we already did sounding off. In my <laughs> notes, I had sounding off after Eric's segment. Um, so I just was it's trying. I'm like, it's how are we going to squeeze all this in? And now we don't have to because we already did sounding off. Sure did. So it is time now for Orioles banter. Um, and Orioles banter today, we are going to talk about... Um, somebody posted it on Twitter the other day. Um, h- hang on one second. I'll fill it in for you. Someone posted, uh, because I, I did see this tweet, um, players who were, were Orioles that were stars elsewhere before they came to the Orioles, and they either finished their career with the Orioles or something along those lines. And people were trying to brainstorm. I know you got in on that conversation. A few other pretty prominent Orioles fans got in on that conversation. So you wanted to talk about that today in Orioles banter. I'm going to tell you right now, Paul, that, that my list and the war number that is going to total here, and I know you're going to explain that in a second, um, is probably not going to be as good as yours, but we'll see. I, I threw some names in there that probably don't necessarily qualify as stars and probably... Uh, but also you wouldn't think of them necessarily as Orioles. So I threw that in there. We'll see how this goes. I- I'm confident you have a little bit of a better list, but uh, we'll see. We'll go down the line. Yeah, I, I don't know. I-, I-, okay. I have a good list. I have a good team. I, I-, I-, I, have- I would think. Yeah. I have some guys on my team that I didn't see a single person post. Okay. Uh, post about. And I won't have um, them either. So- some, of them, some of them were really hard. Like second base was, second base was, was, really was hard. difficult. Third base was difficult. At least in my opinion, it was difficult. Um, shortstop was difficult, but I actually, yeah. I think I picked a good one. Um, I, and I actually picked a, another shortstop as a utility guy mm-hmm. on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see here. Start off a catcher and get going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. H- hang on one second. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out something real quick. Okay. Yeah, I, I did think that the infield was probably the hardest part. Um, I think all three of my guys are somewhat questionable. Uh, but they did have good careers and, and finished them out in Baltimore, or not even finished them out, but they're still playing in two of the cases. So we'll we'll, we'll get it we'll get it going. But All again, right. I think the early two thousands are where I'm really going to miss some guys. I think. Well, th- there weren't a lot of guys that were that were yeah. here. There were the one big guy that I would expect you to have is Sammy Sosa. I have Sammy yeah, Sosa. That, that, that would be the one big guy. Uh, and Vladimir Guerrero. Yep. When he was here in, in 2011, yep. um, I actually have a canvas of Camden Yards where the field, the the playing field is in color but everything else is in that's black cool. and white. That's cool. That's really cool. And the guy that's batting um is Vladimir Guerrero. Oh nice. It, it, it's you can see his name that's cool. up on the thing. That's so I was cool. like, "Oh, that's from 2011." Yep. Um so that that that's that's pretty cool. So let's get right into this. We're going to start out actually Yeah, let's start out with our lineup cuz I still have to figure out uh, my bullpen. I had to make an adjustment here because I had, okay. I had Sid Fernandez in my bullpen. Never would have made mine. And he was actually he was never a reliever. He was he was a starter for the Orioles. And, and oh, a, I, I have and a starter in his entire career. I have two guys in my bullpen that were starters. Well, we'll let you do that because okay. it's. I can't uh, think of anyone it else. It was <laughs> probably more difficult for you. It was. It was. All right. So starting a catcher, I have Javi Lopez. Same. I do have Javi Lopez. Okay. Twenty nine point seven WAR in a fifteen year career. At first base, you go ahead. So I put Jim Tomey. Um, and this he didn't really play a lot of first base for the Orioles, but first baseman uh, long-term in his career. So I went with Jim Tomey. I went Palmero. 
Okay. Because Palmero, if you remember, I couldn't have used him if he only played here from 94 through 98. Mm-hmm. But Palmero was also here in 04, 05, when okay. he was clearly in the twilight of his career. Yeah. Um, so I have Jim Tomey, 73.1 war in 22 seasons. Rafael Palmero, 21.9 war in 20 seasons. More valuable player than, than Jim Tomey. Yeah, um, I have, I have numbers 3.32 for Jim Tomey that, that I calculated up here. So um, so I just kind of did the average war. I guess I should have done that differently. I did the average war per player. So I took their war for their career. Right. I added all the wars for the, li- for the lineup, the rotation, and the bullpen. I added all the wars and then a- added up all the years that they played mm-hmm. and then divided the whole number by the whole number. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what and I did too. So I got a 2.78. I'm talking about in one calculation. So I got a 2.78 combined war for each player. Okay. But I probably should have done it differently. I probably... We don't have to worry about the war. We'll, yeah. we'll just go so down by, the list. By, by, by the way, um, when you talk about a replacement player, are you assuming that a replacement player makes your team go 81 and 81 if you have a team full of replacement players? Or is that the assumption? It's a good question. I don't know. I'm not sure how how exactly that works. War war is a is a mystery calculation. I'll tell you that. And and obviously, you know, Baseball Reference does it differently than Fangraphs. And there's other outlets who do it too. And it's all kind of a mystery. So okay, well, and, and <laughs> but honestly, it does represent player value. It, it would be the same. Now I'm thinking about it. The calculation, whatever I did, each individual player just add them up. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. The, it, it's going to come out to the to the same number. So let's do this real quick. Well, three point three two for Jim Tomey. It was divided by his years. War divided by years right, was three point three two. Yeah. So at second base, I had Delino De Shields. Okay. Twenty four point four WAR in thirteen seasons. I had Rugnet Odor. I went with Odor given that had a lot of good seasons in Texas. I believe an All Star year in seventeen, uh, where he hit like forty or thirty five home runs, something along those lines. Sure. Uh, so I went with Odor, and that was point seven one uh, over his over his career WAR wise per season. Um. F- well, for um. For Delino, over the over the course of his career, he was a one point eight. Yeah, eight got me there about, about um, one. Yeah. Miguel Tejada for is my shortstop. Okay, forty because if you remember, he came back in two thousand ten and played yeah. third base for the Orioles. Uh, he was a forty seven point one uh, WAR player, almost three WAR per year in his sixteen seasons. Yeah, I, I didn't even re- remember that. If I'm being honest with you, I went with Jose Iglesias actually. Okay, um, who was one point zero six uh, per year in his career, and I believe he's still playing. So he, we might see, you know, might see Iglesias again sometime soon. There you go. Uh, at third base, I want to hear who you picked for third base. I took Wilson Bedemit actually. Um, which this I thought this was one of the hardest positions, but Wilson Bedemit actually had a pretty good career before he got to Baltimore and then had a really good, I think it was 2011 or 2011, I believe, or 2012, one of the two. But Wilson Bedemit, you know, not a star, but and again, I told you a few of these would be questionable, but I couldn't come up with anyone at third base that I thought would be a, a better option than Wilson Bedemit. Wilson Bedemit, when he, when he came to the Orioles, uh, his best year is probably 2006 when he hit 263 with 18 homers and 53 RBIs mm-hmm. and 23 doubles. He had a good year in 2012. He was 261 yeah. with a 322 on base percentage, 12 homers, 19 doubles, 40 RBI, um, 31 walks compared to 103 strikeouts. Um, but then he got hurt in spring training. Um, like, if you remember, Hyper extended his knee in 2013, and he... Vaguely, yeah. Yeah, and he when he came back, it, he only got he only played in six games, ten at-bats, yeah. no hits. Um, I went Garrett Atkins, and I'll tell you... Interesting, okay. Garrett Atkins is maybe my least favorite player of all time. <laughs> By the way, .25 was the number for Benjamin. His overall war? Uh, per, that was per year. Oh, per year? Yeah. Um, Minor all per year. Yeah. Garrett Atkins, 4.0 war. In eight seasons, so he's a .5 WAR yeah. per year. Yep. Um, 
with the Orioles, he was god awful. He went he <laughs> he slashed two fourteen, two seventy six, two eighty six, five sixty two with one home run and nine nine ribeye stakes. But from twenty six from two thousand five to two thousand eight, he averaged. His average season was 301, 364, 482, 846, 22 homers, 105 RBIs, 36 doubles, 58 walks and just 86 strikeouts per year. Uh, He had some really remarkable seasons in there where uh, 2006, 29 home, 329 with a 409 on base percentage, 29 homers, 120 RBIs. Uh, 2007, 301, 367, 25, and 111. 2008, 286, 328, 21, and 99. Um, he was a really good player for a nice four-year stretch and then came to the Orioles, and he was just the worst. And he he had a bad attitude, too. He was just just absolutely the worst. I, I vaguely remember him, but never would have made my list. Didn't think of him. I hate Garrett Axe. <laughs> but he was a good player before he got yeah. here, but I freaking hate him. Um, all right. Tim Raines Sr. Yeah. is my left fielder. 69.4 war over 23 seasons. Got to make the outfield, definitely. Yeah. Um, all right. Sammy Sosa yep. is my center fielder. And maybe you put him in right field. I just put outfield, just three okay. outfields. Sammy Sosa, yeah. he did play over 200, and, I think like over 260 games okay. in center field in his career. A lot more when he was a lot younger. Um, but yeah. 50, uh, surprisingly, 58.6 war in 18 seasons. I yeah. thought it would be higher than that. I thought it would be too. He had... Three sixty home yeah. plus season just didn't provide a lot of defensive value, so I think that's what really hurt him. I mean, he probably would have been up at seventy seventy five if yeah. if he had been if a better played, defender. Yeah, yeah. But um, so that's uh, Sammy Sosa. Obviously, he made both of our lists. My right fielder is Vladimir Guerrero Has to be. Senior. I was also surprised because he was good offensively and defensively, but his defense started to wane as yeah. he got older and a little bit more immobile. But a fifty nine point five WAR in sixteen what, seasons. When you think of guys like this. Former stars that became Orioles, he's the one you think of first. When you asked me that question, the first guy I thought of was Vlad Guerrero. I, th- yeah. I think he is the, the the key guy that you have to have on this list. But also, Sammy Sosa is a pretty big one, um, and Tim Raines as well, pretty big. Yeah, one. Um, you're talking about you have a, a, quite a few Hall of Famers and quite a few other guys yeah. who would have been Hall of Famers if not for steroids. Um, and then finally, my designated hitter is Jim Tomey. Okay, seventy three point okay. one WAR in twenty two seasons. Um, I'm assuming you did a bench. We were talking about 26 man. Wrestling, I, I had right? a DH as well, though. Um, I had Albert Bell as my DH. That's a good one. Yeah, that, that's a good one. But see, and the thing is, Albert Bell was still in his prime when he got here. He hit. Yeah, he I hit guess. 37. He hit 60 home runs in two years, and he missed the last chunk of the season in in his last year here. Um, it just he got that hip displacement. Yeah. and couldn't play anymore. And so with Albert Bell, he was still in his prime. He he honestly he didn't register to me because he he was here so short of a time. Yeah. but he was an imposing player before he got here and while he was here. Um, but it, it, technically, you're right, because I have somebody in my bullpen who kind of fits that bill also. Um, for my bench, I have Will Clark as my backup first baseman in DH, a 56.5 war over 15 seasons. Will Clark was a phenomenal hitter. He and, was. And if he had shown a little bit more, he had good power, but if he had been more powerful, I mean, this is a guy who hit well over 300 for his yeah. career. I mean, you're looking at nearly a, uh, a four wins per year player over his career. A- that's his career average. No, Will Clark is great. Honestly, he's, he's not on my list. I didn't remember that Will Clark was an Oriole at one point. Sorry. Um, but I had as my first guy, Eric Davis. And this one's a little bit questionable because he did have really good years. Well, but well, I- well Eric Davis is on my list too, but we're okay. talking about, uh, I'm going back up. For, uh, I'm assuming you have a backup first baseman. Uh, well, I guess Albert Bell would be my backup first baseman, given that he... Albert, I just, Bell, Albert Bell was an outfielder. I, okay, so 
Oh, was he really? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Not my time. Um, I had so Derek Lee. Derek Lee's on my list. That okay. Works De- as backup for okay. So, so Derek Lee. Next, yeah. we're going to um, what was Derek Lee's WAR? Two point three one per season. Two point three one per season. Yeah. Did you average the whole team's WAR? I have another season? first baseman on here as well. Um, I have. I just added it all together in just one number. Um, okay. at the end of at the end of this. Okay. Um, so then. You mean per season? You added right. Like- I added every guy per season's numbers, um, okay. and it came out to a, just a you know a war number of combined, combined. Uh, of okay. all of these guys. Yeah. Um. So for my utility infielder, I took Mike Bordick. Okay. Twenty six point eight WAR in uh, fourteen seasons. Really good defensively. Had some decent offensive seasons here. Um. And the reason I was able to take him is because he got traded from the Orioles in two thousand at that really at that fire sale at the deadline. Mm-hmm. Got traded from the Orioles in 2000 to the Mets and then re-signed with the Orioles for 01 and 02. Um, so technically he left and then came back and it was he only played one more season after that and that was with the Blue Jays in 2003. And so for Mike Bordick, the last two years that he were here were two, the two of his final three seasons, he was past his prime yeah. at that point. Yeah. So I... I I don't technically consider that cheating because he did leave and then came back. Uh, Mike Bordick, 26.8 in 14 seasons. Yeah, I did this a little differently. Sorry, it's the the way it is. Um, I actually put three first basemen on my bench because they were great hitters, and that's why I put them there. You can't do that. I know you can't do that. You can't but do that because you have to have You a never re- said I couldn't do it, but you so should, you I did should, it. <laughs> it should be implied because it's a realistic 26-man yeah, I mean, roster. Yeah, sure. That, that's that's fair, but this is what, it's, I, this it's is like, what I got. Have, let's have Palmeiro play look, third, Tomey play third look, base, and Albert Bell play second. I had to come up with this in about 35 minutes, so sure. I didn't have a lot of time to really think about it. So I just threw down the guys that I thought were good hitters. Uh, so my next one was Glenn Davis, uh, who came in at 1.97 war per season. Glenn yeah, that's a good one. So I mean, again, you know, not maybe the position you wanted, but that's that's what I got. So <laughs> that's what I came up. I with. I guess Albert Bell would be my backup first baseman. Never played first base. I, um, you know what? I I thought he did. I really did. I don't know. I mean, but again, not my time. Not my time. Uh, yeah, no, he was he was a left. Well before I watched right baseball. Fielder. Well before. Um, so yeah, wait, it may have been. Bef- it was before you were born that he was here. Uh what year was he here? Ninety eight, ninety nine. So yeah, before yeah, I was born. It was yeah. before you were born, but so was Glenn Davis. Glenn Davis also was. But so, I, you so know, was I, I, I thought of Glenn Davis only because everyone talks about it as the worst trade in Orioles history. So it's it's yeah, pretty easy. It's pretty easy they, to remember Glenn Davis. They lost um, Steve Finley. I'm sorry, Chuck Finley. Was it, no, Steve Finley. Chuck Finley was a pitcher. They lost Steve Finley. They lost Pete Harnish, and they lost. Um, That's rough. Kurt Schilling. Rough. Yeah. Oh yeah, Kurt Schilling was in that in that Glenn Davis trade. Uh, Kurt Schilling alone is like, oh my god, what the hell happened? Kurt Schilling was here from like '88 to '90, somewhere around those times, right? Was that am I right in saying that he got traded? He got traded in. It was either '89 or '90. Okay. Um, he got traded for for Glenn for Glenn freaking Davis. So my average from my lineup, the the wins above replacement for my lineup, thirty six point one four. Okay. Yeah, you're gonna be a lot higher than I was. So. um, What was your number? uh, let me go back and see, actually. So did, I, did you add up their career wars? My career wars were 580. Okay, so let me explain what I did. I went back and I took all their career war and divided it by all the seasons they played. So, for example, Sammy Sosa, 60 war divided by whatever, 17 yeah, that, seasons Yeah, that's what I did, 2.78. Right, so 20.66 would be the number for my lineup. For the bench, it was 8.75. So if you combine those together, if that's what you're doing, you're around 30. Yeah, so mine, you were at 28 point something or other. Yeah. My average um, war per player for my lineup is 2.78, 36.14 for a single season okay. if you do their averages. So I got you there by about seven and a half to yep. eight wins. Uh, let's move over to the starting rotation. My number one is Rick Sutcliffe. Minus two. 33.9 war in 18 seasons. Um, 
my number two is Jimmy Key. 48.9 war in 15 seasons. Okay. Yeah, I have Jimmy Key as my number five. I just put him in there at, at, at the bottom because he was the last one I thought of. So sure. <laughs> he's in there. All right. My number three is Fernando Valenzuela. 40, also my three. 41.5 uh, in 17 seasons. Okay. Uh, my number four. I think you probably don't have this guy unless you remembered him from a trivia question. I think I do. Doug Drabeck. No. <laughs> 29.2 <laughs> no. in 13 seasons. Okay. He had about an eight-year stretch where he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. I have Johan Santana as my He uh, never played four. a regular season game with the Orioles. I don't He's count still that. on the Orioles. He... He was There's on, another guy then who hasn't. He was played. on their team in spring training. I mean, you could again. Used, you could have used their. You could have used Felix Hernandez, and we're talking Felix about Hernandez is in the bullpen. <laughs> so, Man, yeah, you you cheated every step. You of didn't the give way me here. parameters. So I went. So you, I went you, and did you what can't I did. put a start. You can't put three first basemen on your bench, and you can't put a starting. I wasn't guy, given parameters. You, you should know the parameters. You have to look at it as okay. an actual 26-man roster. What 26-man roster has three DH first base types I on put their the bench? Be- I put the best hitters on uh, the bench. You have to go by position. You can't just say, okay, well, I, ha- I want. <laughs> I like Frank Robinson. I, mean, I have to put him at shortstop because I don't have a shortstop. You can't do that. It, just like you can't have a starting pitcher who only started in your— That's why I had to take Sid Fernandez out of my bullpen. You can't have a starting pitcher who only started okay. his career and put him in your bullpen. Again. 35 minutes to do this. I did the best I could. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I put this list together in about 15 minutes. If okay. That, I, if that. Okay. Fair. Fine. Sure. Any, anyway, um, so you you're you're um you had Johan Santana. Yeah. We're going to number five. Who was your number two? Uh, my number two actually again I, I just put them in a random order. But Ubaldo made my list. Uh, just because of the years he had in Colorado threw that no hitter and he was pretty pretty good by the time he came here and then crashed and burned. Okay. Um, my number. And a lot of people forget that this guy pitched for the Orioles is Juan Guzman, the Toronto Blue Jays ace, 24.3 war in 10 seasons. The average war for my team actually comes out to what Juan's average was, 2.43 war. Okay. Over the course of um for, for the five starting pitchers. Okay, so I had 13.59. Uh, so if we divide that by five, um, I'm not sure what you get there. But 13.59 divided by 5 is 2.71. 2.71, which yep. is your your rotation is higher, even though you cheated with Johan Santana. Yeah, 4.31 uh, with Johan Santana. See, I, you know, Johan Santana is a guy that... You said 4.31? 4.31 per was, season. Was your average war? Was the average war for Johan Santana, yeah. Oh, 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 oh you, you're... T- Okay. But 2.7, 2.71 was the once you add them all up and combine them. So uh, what, and then divide them by 5. So what is your total war to this point? Total, um, I'd have to add these up here. I also had a fifth bench man, by the way, uh, my catcher, my backup catcher. 43, okay. by the way, is, is so far. Uh, I had James McCann on my bench just because he was an all-star in 2019 uh, and a catcher that is, you know, was sort of a star at some point uh, and now is relegated to the backup role with Adley Rutschman. Okay. I, I guess that, that you can do that because he is on the Orioles and he's been on the Orioles for a couple of months now. You, you can do that. Um, hang on one second. Okay. 103. Sorry, I'm just I'm just adding up some stuff here. Why don't you start with your first first okay. bullpen arm while I do this? I think Lee Smith has to make the bullpen. There's no way Lee Smith doesn't. Uh, 1.61 per season for Lee Smith, Hall of Famer, a guy that only had. I about, don't think he's in the Hall of Fame. I, he's not in the Hall of Fame. You sure? I'm positive. I'm gonna Lee, look Lee it up Smith, because, because I there's, swear. there's only a, a few. Um, we we actually talked about this on the show a few. Lee months Smith ago. is in the Hall of Fame. Is he really? Yeah. 
Lee Smith is in the Hall of Fame. Wow, I didn't realize. I didn't think he was in. I think he got in maybe by the Veterans Committee. I believe that could have been how it was done, um, and he wasn't actually voted in. But he, you know, I think he deserves to be there. I mean, it, closers obviously you get a lot less innings, so it's harder to really build your resume um, like other guys. But it's it, it's fair. He should be in there. Yeah, Lee Smith is. Um, he's on my list too. Uh, yep. Yeah, definitely. He, he's on definitely. my list. All right. Um, so I'm gonna go from top to bottom here. Okay. Uh, with the exception of Lee Smith, uh, Norm Charlton, eight point one <laughs> WAR in thirteen seasons. Okay, um, I had Michael Givens uh, the second time around. It counts because he's back, um, and one point oh nine per season thus far for Michael Givens. All right, uh, Jamie Walker. Okay. Uh, I had Andrew Miller, and this one's a little bit of a question mark because he did have some really, really good years before Baltimore, but he's he, also had good ones after. So He came here in his prime. He was still in his prime, and then he signed, he signed a huge deal. So I don't know that we can really compare our list because you didn't exactly again, again, do, do this correctly. Zach, I know you only listen. had 35 minutes <laughs> to do this. I did this in a significantly shorter time than you did. I, I like. I'm not trying to be be an ass about this. I had. I, I did I, the I, best I could. No, you you, you fi- really did. Listen. You are a smart guy. You could listen. figure out that the 26 man roster can't have four first base DH. Types. Again, I, I I put the best hitters on the bench. I that's, put the. Be- but that's not the, that's not what that. Then that, my then my then you can read off the rest of your list, and I'll sit over here and listen. You see, you you can sit sit over there in the corner. <laughs> yeah, in, I mean, in come on, like, for for putting starting pitchers in your rotation, guys who never pitch in the regular season for the Orioles. I mean, in your bullpen, guys who never pitch in the regular season uh, for the Orioles in your rotation, and four first base slash DH types on your uh, thir- on your thirteen to fourteen man uh, position player roster. Come on, man, you you you're better than that. You know better than that. I, okay, I was a, told to assemble twenty. A twenty-six man roster. I'm gonna let you keep going before I say anything else. I'm gonna Is, let you keep going. A twenty. You were told to, to assemble a twenty-six man roster. One day you hope to be a GM, right? If you're a GM, okay. Can you realistically put together a twenty-six man roster of guys who are elite starting pitchers, but you're gonna put them in their in your bullpen? One and two, a bunch of guys who don't have a position I, I, to I, play. I, I, I get your point. I get your point. You can go ahead and finish out your uh, list. No, I'm done. Okay. okay. Oh, oh. I get your point. Just I, I, I'll, I'll hear the rest of your list. I get your point. I'm interested to hear the rest of your list. Okay. You, you can still give I mean, there's us some the rest. Guy, there's some guys on here. I mean, it's... it's <laughs> you know? All right. You may not agree with them. My next reliever is Jamie Walker. Okay. He Jamie. was really good for Detroit. Um, not good for the Orioles. He had one decent season for the Orioles, but not good for the Orioles. Uh, four war in 10 years. Tommy Hunter, uh, the second time he came back in 2016, made my list. Okay. That's that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, Point, Steve, 0.76 per year. Okay. Uh, Steve Klein. Uh, he was really good before he got to the Orioles and not good here. 9.9 war in 11 seasons. A starter number one in my bullpen, uh, Kevin Millwood, made my list. So, I, again, couldn't put him in the rotation, but he deserves to be on here because he is a pitcher who had great years other, you know, in other places. And maybe he deserves it over Ubaldo. I could kick Ubaldo out of the rotation. And, and You know what? We're going to put Ubaldo in the bullpen because he did pitch in, in 2015, 2016, a little bit out of the bullpen. So uh, he, the mo- His most famous relief appearance. There was a, the one that nobody there was will some ever good ones. forget. Yeah, there was Zach Britton sitting in your in your bullpen. <laughs> that, in, in, in the there playoff. you go. So Ubaldo could uh, Ubaldo could be in there, your bullpen. Okay, so we we're in agreement. Ubaldo could be in your bullpen. There we go. All right. Um, Mike Gonzalez was next for me. Okay. Seven point seven. He's the guy who came in. He, they brought him in to be their closer in 2010, and he was hurt and didn't tell anybody he was hurt. 
Um, and he blew three saves in a row in Tampa Bay and then blew a save that cost him the game on opening day at, in, at the home opener. Um, he was hurt, went on the DL for a while. When he came back, he pitched significantly better. But he was beyond his prime. He was a really good relief pitcher prior to that. 7.7 war in 11 seasons. Okay. Um, so I had, again, this one's questionable. Questionable because he only had a few decent years before he got to Baltimore. But I put Matt Albers on the list because he's just another guy I thought of that never really Matt would Albers think... Albers began his career in Baltimore. He did? <laughs> I don't I'm, I don't believe that. I'm, I don't believe so. I'm almost certain. Matt, Matt, Matt Albers played in the league for like, I believe, four years. And I actually, I think I checked. Oh, no, you know, you know what? He played for Houston and he wasn't any good. He, he got better after he left the Orioles. Okay. Fair. He, he got he got Fair. he got, you got me when, there. when he played for there. Boston. Like, he was his best. You know, after the Orioles. Matt Albers went on this list because he's again another guy that's pretty significant that you would never think of as an Oriole. Um, which I kind of feel is the same thing with Eric Davis, where Eric Davis had you know as well. You would think of him as a Cincinnati Red first and foremost, but he had you know the, those couple great years for the Orioles. All right. Did I say Eric Davis and did I say Charles Johnson as my catcher? I think I did. Right. Uh, I don't know. I think you did. I, yeah, don't, think I, you, I don't think you mentioned Charles. Tar, uh, Charles, Charles, Charles. Charles Johnson was Johnson. My, was my was my uh, backup catcher. <laughs> okay, got um, twenty two point six WAR in twelve seasons. All right, Mike Timlin, nineteen WAR in eighteen seasons. Okay, uh, my final one, as you already know, Felix Hernandez. Uh, but you know, it, he probably would have relieved a good amount for the Orioles if he had made the team that year. No, they, he would have been a starter. You think so? He would have been a starter only. So you know, again, but he was an Oriole at one time, pitched in spring training, didn't make it out. But that's that's the list. That's that's the list. And and fifty two point two eight was my uh, total final number. Yeah, but you cheated. Quite Correct. Bit. You cheated. Correct. Quite apparently, a bit. yeah. Um, apparently, I had Randy Myers, who was still in his prime when when he mm-hmm. got here, but he pitched two years in Baltimore, ninety seven and ninety eight, yeah. and then he never pitched again. Um, no, I'm sorry, it was ninety six and ninety. No, it was ninety seven and ninety eight, and then he wasn't a um, no. Scratch that. Ninety six, ninety seven. He had 45 saves and 45 chan- and 46 chances for the Orioles in 1997. He was an All-Star, 1.81 ERA. It was his, probably his second best season because he had 53 saves in the season a few years prior to that. But 1998 was his last year, and he pitched, I think, for the Padres that year, and he just wasn't very good. No, I think it was the Cardinals, and he just wasn't very good. Um, and his best, his he had a really nice career before he got to Baltimore, and then only pitched two years here. So Randy Myers, fifteen point three WAR in fourteen seasons, he's on my list. And then finally, um, and he's not my closer; he's just the guy I had to replace Sid Fernandez with because I was following the rules. Um, Chad Bradford, ten point one WAR in twelve seasons. Okay, really good pitcher for the um, yeah. for the Athletics. Came to the Orioles and had a couple of good seasons, but fizzled out pretty soon thereafter. Um, so my overall. War is only 39.53 because I followed the rules. And that's that's added up after you divided each guy per season. Yeah, and my, then my, my, okay. my entire 26-man roster is uh, worth nearly 40 wins better than your average team. Um, let's figure out real quick, what is, if you had a team full of, um, if you had a team full of, replacement level players what would their record be i mean i guess it would be 81 and 81 i would think <laughs> oh 52 52 wins is replacement okay. level uh 52 wins so my team would have been worth 
just about 92 wins. Okay. Your team would have been worth 178 wins in a 162-game season because you have four first-base DH types on your active roster. And starting pitchers all thrown out your bullpen. If you take those out, though, like if you take the first baseman out and the two starting pitchers, I would still have around 40, I believe. I believe. I think he'd probably have a little less. Maybe, yeah. I mean, so Felix Hernandez was a significant one because he had, uh, what did he have? He had 3.31. Um, and then if you want to take out Kevin Millwood, too, you want to take out Kevin Millwood? Or do you want to swap him with Ubaldo? And then we'll just keep that and call yeah, it Yeah, you can, you can swap okay. him with Ubaldo. So if you, t- if you take out Aubrey Huff, and if you take out Derek Lee, or not, no, keep Derek Lee. You never mentioned Aubrey Huff. I didn't. Well, he was also on my bench. He was three first basemen. There were three first basemen. That, okay. was, that was the other one. Um, so Glenn Davis, Derek Lee, Aubrey Huff. If you want to keep one of them, the highest one was, was Derek Lee. We can take out Huff and Davis, so 1.58 and 1.79. Um, and then everything else should be fair game, correct? Sure. Okay. Um, Aubrey Huff also, his best, his best, maybe his best year ever, was in Baltimore in 2008, I believe it was. And then he had some really good years out in San Francisco. I think he was here and left here in the middle of his prime. He, yeah, it could have been definitely in his prime here, probably. I, I would agree with that. But he had a few really good years before. And again, that's why I put him on the list. All right. I had hoped that you would have done this a little differently. I, I'm aware. But I did not. I did, yeah, I think the world is aware. I think Let, people over in listen, China are aware. Th- things, aren't, things aren't always going to be perfect. Let's yeah. just say that. Things aren't always going to go as smoothly hey, as possible. Hey, you know what? If the Orioles want to take Jose Abreu... Get him on the team and play him at second base. By all means, we can we can deal with the seventy five errors he'll make there at second base yeah. and let him just mash twenty five home runs for the Orioles. We we, we we can do that. All right, so that's gonna be it as far as our um as far as our Orioles banter, this whole lineup thing, which Zach did incorrectly. Um, that's gonna do that for that. We're gonna catch a final break when we come back. Final thoughts because I was supposed to have a trivia question for you and I forgot. And I got one for you. Oh, you got one for me? Yeah, sure. Okay, we'll do that then. When we come back, Jackson, give me a trivia question. I want to remind you, today's show brought to you by the latest edition of PressBox, which is available now on the cover Luke Jackson Profiles, Orioles phenom Gunnar Henderson, breaking down how he was able to become the top prospect in baseball at such a young age and what could be next in his first full MLB season. Also inside, we meet lacrosse players from the men's and women's college programs across the state. And Bo Smolka breaks down another year of wide receiver issues for the Ravens. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. We're going to take a break so Zach can suffer his punishment of sitting in the corner for doing the the, the list wrong. When we come back, we'll close things out with trivia and maybe a final thought or two. We'll see. Uh, That next on The Battle Realm. Baseball season is finally here, and what better way to celebrate than with some fresh gear from Birdland Sports. As a small business run by O's fans, Birdland Sports offers a great selection of unofficial merchandise, including unique designs like Birds Are Coming tees, player cartoon shirts, and championship prediction designs. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. Get high-quality gear without breaking the bank. So whether you're heading to the ballpark or watching from home, show your love for the birds with Birdland Sports. Visit Birdland Sports sports.com today to browse their collection and gear up for the season let's go o's whether your focus is luxury and comfort convenience and technologically advanced connectivity or sporty performance and aggressive styling we've got the perfect highlander for you check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new highlanders from your local toyota dealer today that first sip 
That first bite mm. starts your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles phenom Gunnar Henderson, breaking down how he was able to become the top prospect in baseball at such a young age and what could be next in his first full MLB season. Also inside, we meet lacrosse players from the men's and women's college programs across the state, and Bo Smoka breaks down another year wide receiver issues for the Ravens. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. There's something for everyone this February at Laurel Park. Come watch live horse racing every Friday through Sunday and join us on Saturday, February 18th for the Winter Stakes Spectacular featuring six stakes races and $900,000 in purses, including the General George and Barbara Fritchie Stakes. The fun doesn't stop there. Stick around for our Winter Mardi Gras celebration with live music, delicious food and drinks, and a carnival atmosphere. Plus, don't miss out on President's Day holiday racing on Monday, February 20th. Visit laurelpark.com for more info. That's laurelpark.com for more. See you at the track. All right, welcome back to the bat around. Zach and I arguing still. Through the entire break about the makeup of his list, I do admit that I was I was a little hard on him because I didn't give him the parameters. I assumed that being a baseball guy who wants to work in the front office, he would he would have put together a representative twenty six man roster. I didn't tell him he couldn't use four first baseman DH types <laughs> in his for his position players and bench. Um, but moving forward, the understanding is it's got to be a, a legitimate twenty six man representative roster um but a lot of it was just hammering it home for uh effect and entertainment i'm not that i'm not even mad at you uh at, at, at all <laughs> I, I mean I, I would hope not i, I mean I, i'm I, not you know. even mad at you but zach was you were pretty worked up there pretty pretty upset with how i, I need, treated I, you I, on I, the I air needed to, i needed to i needed to respond effectively if, if i think i responded I, effectively you scolded me i was scolded okay after i scolded you on the air at least you yeah. scolded me off the air yeah respect your elders oh uh, Kevin Millwood, he did pitch in relief. There you go. He did pitch in relief. He had one relief appearance in 2002. As did Felix Hernandez. And in 2000. And he had two in 1998, and he had four in his first season in 1997. So he did he did pitch in relief eight times in his big league career. So he could have stayed in your bullpen technically. Now, I was going to try and come up with some kind of... um 
rookie starting pitchers who were phenomenal in their first year with the Orioles, like we expect Grayson Rodriguez to be. Um, trivia, you mean? Yeah, I, I was going to come up with a, try to come up with a trivia question for you for yeah. that. Um, that would have taken a lot longer than I gave myself time for. And I would have done poorly. Yeah, and <laughs> it would have been it would have been really difficult yeah. because I I know Mike Mussina. And maybe Rodrigo Lopez. That, yeah, and that that that's about it. So that would have been an unfair question, and it would have taken way. Was Chris Tillman good as rookie year? I believe he was okay. Well, it depends on what constitutes as his rookie year. True. If if, yeah. if his rookie year was 2012, then yes, he was phenomenal. He had, he had a sub three ERA in 21. I think in like 16 starts or 21 starts or something like that. But he had pitched for the Orioles as well in 2010 and 2011. Uh, and got knocked around each time, so he wasn't good until his first. I think he. I think that he was a rookie. He exceeded rookie limitations in two thousand. Um, okay. Twelve. So, anyway, you but you you somehow have a trivia question for me. Yeah, this was actually supposed to be for Glenn yesterday, and then we just never got to it. So okay. this is going to be for you, and this was going to be probably a little harder for Glenn um, than for you. I think you just have some of these random facts in your head that, that, oh, that work way, out well for you in Chris, trivia. Chris Tillman exceeded rookie limitations in his first year in, okay. in 2009 when he made 12 starts. Okay, yeah. All right, so there's going to be really, I think, two difficult ones on here, um, and the rest you should get pretty And this easy. is baseball? This is, yes, this is for, this is an Orioles question, and there's two difficult ones in here. We'll see if you get them. I think you'll do really well. Okay. So name every starting infielder on every World Series championship Orioles team. Jesus, I don't think I can do that. I think you can. I don't. I really. There's don't. really only two two difficult ones. All right, so nine. We'll go backwards. Okay. 1983 was Eddie Murray yep. at first base. Correct. Is it Rich Bauer? Rich Dower. Rich Dower. Yeah, Rich Dower at, 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 second at second base. base. Yep. Cal was at shortstop. Yep. Third is the toughest one on this entire list. Third base. He played 81 games, but he did. He was the majority third baseman uh, for the 83 Orioles. Oh, man. Um, third base, 1983. I'll be honest with you. I'd never heard of this guy before I put the list together. I, I, can't, I can't even imagine. Okay. <laughs> who, who, who is it? It's Todd Cruz is the, the majority Cruz. third baseman. Yeah, I never would have gotten that. For the 83 I okay. never would have gotten that. Okay. It wasn't even in the realm of possibilities. You should do um, well on the rest of this then. 1979. Eddie Murray at first. Oh, I, this is just championship teams. Oh, just championship so just teams. Just the three. Yeah. So 1970, you had Boog at first. Yep. You had, was it Belanger at shortstop? Yep, Mark Belanger. You had Brooks at third. Yep. Which is the same. You had uh, Brooks, Boog at first and third and 66 also. Also, yep. Um, I think it it may have been Aparicio at shortstop in 66. Correct. All right. Yep. Um, so who's the second baseman in 70? Davey Johnson? Davey Johnson. Is he the one in 66 also? He also is. D- Davey See, Johnson. I, I knew you'd fly through that. I think it would have taken maybe... Glenn, Glenn knows a lot of Orioles, but you were you were a whole different level above people at Orioles trivia. I so I knew he, you'd fly through I that. I think he probably could have gotten that too. Oh, he, um, he would have. He would have. And I, wouldn't have, if, I would have never gotten Bauer for second base yeah. if I hadn't been looking at rosters last last night trying to find out a yeah, first, a first yeah. base i mean a second baseman um because i was i i, I my pick was delano de shields but i legitimately i was like they, but was there somebody better than delano de shields that played for the orioles i, who I had, can't but, remember who had been better not here prior to being here but and that's when i saw that it was rich bauer 
um, at second base. So yeah, the I, only one, uh, Todd Cruz, I won't remember his name in 15 minutes. Right, like right, I, won't, I yeah. won't remember his Todd, name. Todd Cruz. I'll tell you, though, I, prob- I wouldn't have gotten the third baseman for 79 either. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who it is. Yeah, no I, I would. I w- and 69, I probably... Was Davey Johnson the, se- the second baseman in 69 also? I think he may have Probably. Been. I think he may have been. Well, wouldn't Bro- I think Brooks's career ended in, like, what, 80? 80? No, Brooks's career Earlier ended... Earlier than that? Brooks's career, he made the Hall of Fame in 83. Okay. So, Brooks was... So, seven, sti- was, was No, no, no. It, it, I think it's 77. Okay. Was Brooks's last year, because it's five years following, I okay. think. So, 78-9. I was going to say, because he could have been the, the World Series third baseman, but I doubt so maybe, it. I think that was too maybe late for it, him. Maybe it was 78. I don't know. Um... Yeah, I think 78 was Brooks' last year because okay. there's no way that he waited yeah, an so extra I, year. I don't know who replaced him at third base at the year after. No, 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 it, it, no was, it was it was 77. 19, was he, it? Okay. Yeah, he was here from 1955 to 1977. It's an unreal 22-year wow. career. Yeah, incredible. Um, just doesn't happen these days where you get one guy to play for, for 22 years with a team, unless you're like Clayton Kershaw or Adam Wainwright or Molina. But those guys are on the way out, and I, I, I'm going to be interested to see – if there's any guy right now, like a Fernando Tatis, for example, who stays with you know San Diego Padres for 20 years, it just doesn't happen that often. It's it's definitely an anomaly, and it's 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 weird because I guess guys, it, it's probably the way contracts play out now, where you mm-hmm. you know you're going to get more money if you leave half the time. So it's yeah, probably the way it is. Yeah. Uh, and that leads me. I wasn't going to have a final thought, but now I do. Okay. Um, <laughs> we heard John Angelos, and Zach doesn't like to comment on John Angelos one way or the other because he wants to work in a major league baseball front office at some point, and if John Angelos happens to be in a position, or Zach happens to be in a position where John Angelos could hire him, and John Angelos, for some reason or another, was listening to this show (laughs) and heard Zach disapprove of some stuff he said or approve of some stuff that he took back later. I don't know. Um, It wouldn't look good for Zach. And I get that because when I was still trying to get a a, a full-time career, and I'm still this way now because I do this show, when I was still trying to get a full-time career working in sports, I... um, I didn't like to make comments about anything. I still don't. There, there are plenty. Of, there's some people in this area, or see, even now, I'm hesitant to say. But there are people in this area that cover sports that I do not care for at all, and I will not insult them by name uh, on the air or on social media because I just don't want to burn any bridges. And right. I, and I totally get that, not wanting to burn bridges. So I, I, I totally get that. That's fair, and I understand it. Given what John Angelos said this past week about payroll. Uh, and actually, I think it was a week before, but um, about payroll and about the Orioles, um, about winning is his third priority um, uh, behind like entertainment and concerts uh, at the ballpark. I, I, I will give you that really weird thing to say. Yeah. Really yeah. weird. Um, I get that. I get what he meant. He meant that there are people in place that are baseball people that are controlling that part of it. So he's focusing on the other stuff. But as a as a the owner of a major league franchise, your number one priority should always be winning, not getting Billy Joel to play here for a fifth time in, in three years. Um, um, by the way, there's other age demographics other than the 45 to 78 year old age demographic. So we we can get other acts other than Billy Joel, Stevie Nicks, and um, uh, uh, what the hell is his name? Bruce Springsteen and the E Street what the, Band. What the hell is his name? Well, because I, I was thinking of the E Street Band, so I was thinking of yeah. E, and I'm like, that's not his name. Like, I know who Bruce, Spring, Bruce Springsteen is. The GOAT, um, that's who he is. No, no. He, he says, hey, little girl, your daddy home. That's a weird song. <laughs> look, into, look, Into the Fire is the most overrated Bruce Springsteen song of all time. It's not even close. I think all real Bruce Springsteen fans would agree on that. It's Into the Fire? Yeah. 
Oh, that song. That's, that's what that's what's that, called. That's called. Yeah, I just yeah. know it's creepy. Yeah. I just it's, it's, it's off the Born in the USA album, and it was you know probably his biggest album hits wise, mm-hmm. and it's just not that good of a song. It's it's got like four hundred million plays on Spotify. I have no it's idea weird. why. It's, it's not weird. it's not probably. a good song. Probably you know I'm not gonna say. There's about a hundred other better songs at least. Um, but yeah, given what I am a little nervous that guys like Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Cedric Mullins aren't gonna finish their careers here. And may play the bulk of their careers not here, just like Manny Machado did. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to think that if the Orioles are going to spend money, they'll at least do it on their own players, on keeping yeah. their guys, extending them. But if John Angelos plans on owning this team for the long haul, like he said he does, he said the Orioles are not for sale, which is a, a, a little disheartening yeah. to me. Um, if John Angelos plans on running this team for the foreseeable future, given his comments on payroll yeah. and everything like that and where his priorities lay, it doesn't give me a lot of hope that the Orioles star players are still going to be here five to eight years from now yeah. uh, when I've, I think they should be here for at least 10 years, yeah. if not longer. And, and to me, it's like, go win a couple World Series now then. We had a conversation about the Rays comment he made. We want to be like the Rays no. on the show yesterday. And the problem with that comment is not necessarily... The Rays model's fine because they're they're a winning team and they, they do well. And there's some, there's some validity to what the Rays do. But my problem with the comment is that why put a label on it? Right, like why? Why immediately go out and say, "Okay, this is what we're going to be, and nothing else." I, I, I don't really like if if you see a free agent out there that you want to go, you know, go get, go get him. Right, like I, mm. you shouldn't have a preconceived notion of this is what we're going to do. This is how much money we're going to spend per year. This is what we're going to be. Of course, you're going to have a budget, but don't put a label on it this early. You know what I mean? I, I think that's the that's the biggest thing. And even if he said we're going to be like Houston or we're going to be like the Yankees or the Dodgers, whatever, I would still say don't put a label on it. Just go out there and, and get what you need, and, and that's what's going to benefit the team most. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. And honestly, I look at what the Orioles are doing, and so far, almost to a T, they are following the Houston Astros mold. Yeah. Uh, because if you look at the Houston Astros and you look at what they did, and I'm just trying to um, – I'm just trying to figure to look at this real quick. So yeah. I think 2015 was the first year they made the playoffs after their rebuild. It was, right. Yeah, so they made the playoffs in 2015, did not make it in 2016. But their payroll in 2015 was about $72 million. Okay. And last year their payroll was about $173 million. And this year it's going to be just under $200 million. It's like, a, like $196 or $198 million, something like that. The Orioles currently, their trajectory, they're following that same payroll trajectory. Yeah. To where... Five years from now, six years from now, seven years from now, their payroll may be up around $170, $180 million if they keep the guys that we think that they should keep and they bring in another guy or two to supplement their roster. Right now, they're on the same trajectory where they could be a playoff team this year and they could win uh, and they could be paying $67 million for their roster. Next year, that'll bump up to $80 million. The year after, that'll bump up to $100, to $100 yeah. million, You know, And that's what you could see. Um, the, the Comparing them to... The Rays, who are good every year because they develop, but that's yeah. that's college sports. The Rays are college sports. You have a guy for four years. Once he's good, he graduates to somebody else, and you get somebody. You already have somebody else to, rep- yeah. to replace him. One, that's a lot of pressure on your front office yeah. and the people running your ball club to consistently get it right year after year after year with prospects. Yeah. Two, it's hard to be a fan of a team like that because you you can't buy somebody's jersey. 
you can't get excited for a player because you know that four years from now, when, right. when it comes time to pay them, they're gone. Uh, like you can't get excited for that. It, it's there's it's really hard in my estimation to follow a team like that. And I've I've said all along. I used to hear Bruce Cunningham say it on 105.7 The Fan that the Orioles want to be like the Rays. Well, I don't know why because the Rays, yeah, they've been to two World Series. They yeah. haven't won one. They usually have, and they lose their star players. They don't keep, they don't hang on to their star play, players. Wander Franco and Evan Longoria are the two guys that they paid, and Wander Franco was injured most of the last year, the first year of that big 11-year extension. So I don't want to be like the Rays. I want the Orioles to be like the Astros. And so far, so good. Ask me again in three years what they're when, when ask me again next year. Yeah, with with what their payroll is. Any final thoughts from you before we get out? Of no, here? I mean I agree with you. And again, the labels are something I would avoid. I, I just don't think that's necessary, and it's not. It shouldn't control the the trajectory of the franchise. That yeah. that's my thought. On I, that. I agree. I do what it takes to win. I nobody expects you to have a two hundred and fifty million dollar yeah. payroll. That's that's. But if but if you want a guy, get him. Right. Yeah. Like, if, if, if there's a guy out there that makes your team a World Series contender, go pay thirty million dollars right, a year for him. Who right. cares? But it you doesn't know? mean you have to give out like the Padres do a five thirty million dollar contract. Now, a year, now right? and, and and here's the thing, and here's something I do, I do want to ask you: a guy like Shohei Otani, should the Orioles be willing to give him fifty million dollars a year because you're essentially playing paying for two players in one? Yeah, I mean that's the tough thing. If it would handicap your payroll where you couldn't really give out any more of those contracts at all for the next five, ten years, then no, I wouldn't really do that. I don't think that's smart because I think you can develop uh, enough talent that as a whole might be as valuable as that contract. By the way, didn't you and I have an argument about how Aaron Judge... We did. I saw you post about that on Twitter the other day. When he Um, was in high school, he he threw... um, what was it? Sixty-five strikeouts in six in sixteen games with a point oh six five. But that's ERA. Like, that's his, like every good senior year. major league player, though. Right, but that's zero six five ERA in sixteen games with sixty-five strikeouts as a senior in high school. He could have still been developed as a pitcher. Yeah, I'm, I mean, that's he, was fair. A, he was a damn good pitcher. He was a damn good sure. pitcher. And they just said, you know what, we're going to focus on hitting because you're going to hit 62 home runs in, yeah. in 2022. I mean, I, I think the tough thing, especially if I was looking at it from a scouting perspective, looking at that body type in high school and saying that body type's going to grow up to be a pitcher, it's a little bit tough. There's just yeah. he's big. He's yeah. really big. It's, he's a big it's, dude. It's, it's it's a little much to be on the mound to me. But yeah. again, I, mean, I don't Randy, know. How... He's six foot seven, 280 pounds of solid yeah. muscle. Right. Randy Johnson was six ten, but anomaly though. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, how many guys out there are like Ray? most of the the pitchers in baseball are on the smaller side compared to a lot of the hitters? I mean, that's just the way it is. I, if think, you, I think they probably average. I, I think it a probably, lot of them maybe are probably six out, two to six four. Yeah. I'm willing to bet. I mean, Justin Verlander, I guess, is one of the the bigger guys. He's a little bit t- Chris, six, Tillman, five. Chris Tillman was six five. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I, so then you look at a guy like uh, Tim Lincecum, who's like five seven. Sure, exactly. Or a um, who's the guy I'm thinking of with the Reds that had the super high leg kick? It was always a tiny guy. Um, but he was always kind of tall and lanky. I don't know. Not thinking of him right now. Was it Bronson Arroyo? Bronson Arroyo. Bronson Arroyo was pretty tall, but he had that real, like the Chris Sale body type too, where okay. he just all, all skin and bones oh, basically. Man. Chris Sale. And how about, and again, before we go, Steven Strasburg, man, another yeah. setback. You think his career's done? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that sucks, man. That I mean, he, really, he, he could come back, but he'll never be Steven Strasburg. I mean, the, the, just how highly talented was, how good he was. Then he gets that big contract. And he hasn't pitched since, basically. I, I th- he's yeah. got, what, five starts since? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, damn, man. Steven Strasburg is one of those guys, what could have been. Yeah. Man, you're talking 10 years ago, he was the best pitching prospect maybe in history, and then he comes up and he's as as advertised, and now 
10 years later, maybe, and his career is probably over. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sad. It's, it's really free, sad. It's, it really is a shame. Uh, shame that we have to end the show. It is snowing outside. It's flirt. Yeah, I just noticed that. It is flirt. It's been doing it for about 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> it's flurrying outside, and uh, that means it's time to get the hell out of here. Um, special thanks to Eric Garfield from Florida Prospect Report for coming on, giving us such great insight on the Orioles prospects down spring training. Thank you to Stan the Fan Charles for another great segment. And, um, he's lucky dog. He's going down to spring training here in about a week and a half. Uh, so thank you to him. Thank you to all of our listeners and our sponsors. Without either of you, we have no show. Thanks to Zach for his great work, uh, as always. Uh, until next week, see ya.